welcome to episode 118 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills, and I'm joined as always by Mr. Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. Last week, we looked at our second batch of games from issue 47 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with, and were highly perturbed by Pasteman Pat, became Star Wars Incarnate in SDI, and zoomed around the world in Zap McCracken and the Alien Mindbenders. This week, we continue our look at March 1989 and the third batch of games reviewed in issue 47 of Zap 64, along with what was also lighting up our TV screens that month. Graham, for those listeners who have not looked at the show notes, let us know what games we have this week. In this jam-packed episode where we find out once and for all if doing vigorous body movements while vacuuming does indeed yield some kind of freshness quotient. We have a fast car and we do indeed have a ticket to anywhere as we take to the 8-bit digital skyways of the future in the ultra-smashy and sonically fabulous LED storm. We also head out on the dreary C64 Rastabar Highway and plod through more Gremgen-powered side-scrolling bland on the hunt for criminals in Technocop. We then zoom, flip and fly over a veritable feast of base relief graphics in the Iridium-inspired Terror Fighter, and after that, slip in our mouth guards, wrap our hands tight and pop on our best 16-ounce gloves as we step into the ring for a 10-round pounding in the punchy TKO. While our initial vacuum test results seem somewhat inconclusive, we can at least confirm that relative room freshness could be directly proportional to the extent of your carpet cleanliness. Interesting. After that, we further explore some more abandoned 8-bit spaceships looking for cartridges, this time disguised as a non-IP infringing 80s sci-fi robot in steel. We head to the single golf course that we have with some clubs, but no ideas about anything else in the overly simplified and underdeveloped Golf Master. Pop in a helicopter and ascend to 10,000 feet to then go for a zoomy splash around a reservoir in the badly misnomered Jet Bike Simulator. Break out the medium-res assault cannons and head into the chewed Rollo Asteroids-inspired world of the retro D-Make Master Blaster before yet again taking a trip to the C64 Arcade Zone, heading to the Who Gives a Shit section and exploring yet another arcade conversion nobody wanted in the bitty Tiger Road. In the end, we deemed it counterproductive to cover your flaws with perfume talc, only to then vacuum it back up again. Similarly, taking games that nobody wanted anyway and remaking them badly, also counterproductive. Sometimes the logic of the late 80s is just plain dumb. There you go. Good. A fine selection. It is. (laughs) Go look at the show notes. If you don't look at the show notes, you should go look at the show notes. Yeah, because we take time to publish them. (laughs) Absolutely. It's very hard pressing pressing (laughs) Control-C, Control-V. Exactly. Go read them. There's notes and things in there, links, exciting stuff. Absolutely. All the things you mention, some of the things we don't. Yeah, true. There's all kinds of stuff in there. Every reason you need is there. And maybe some you don't. <laughs> that's it. That's what Darth Vader said, wasn't it? Actually, well, he said, that's it, the rebels are there. But I'm paraphrasing Darth Vader. It's a difficult thing to do at best. <laughs> well, and it, on, on what podcast was this? <laughs> Did I miss that one? The, the Darth and Luke show. <laughs> oh, that'd be hilarious, wouldn't it? Actually, no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be hilarious. It's would really it? hard, Darth, to uh, to hear what you're saying amongst all the. Yeah, <laughs> can you turn that down? Is it you can turn that down? <laughs> My podcasting voice is very low. <laughs> Sorry, Darth, you're gonna have to speak a bit louder. Can you? I know you can't get too close to the mic because you're triangle mouth, but can you try and get a bit closer to it? <laughs> I've heard your voice, Father. I know you can do it better. <laughs> you sound a bit trebly. I find your lack of bass disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that breathing! Be so much. It would. It would be a, a. You know, someone like you who takes care of the production side of thing. It would drive you mad. Well, yes, it would. It um, would. I don't envisage a situation where that's going to be an easy thing to happen. And which Darth Vader <laughs> do you go for? Do you go for 
the David Prowse Darth Vader? Do you go for the Aiden Christensen Darth Vader? Do you go for the old guy with the harmonica in his mouth? That Darth, you know, whatever he was called. He's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> dead annoying, though. Speaks mostly in harmonica. <laughs> the Darth Vader that never was. What have you up to this week? <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? So, Darth, what should we do about these? T- I mean, nobody called him Darth, did they? Lord Vader. Um, we appear to have found the rubber plants. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not familiar with um, Darth. <laughs> Lord Vader. He was that. Like like- he was that. Like <laughs> Is that an F or a C? I couldn't quite tell. <laughs> oh. Okay. 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 All ah, right. You want to uh, deploy the mind probe? I Lord understand. Vader, there's a large amount of spit coming out of your visor. <laughs> it's not spit. <laughs> <laughs> he just has a constant stream of WD-40 to keep him lubricated in there. Uh, we had to pick the one instrument he could never play as well. What, the harmonica? he took his mask off. Yeah, because he, if he took his mask off, he dies. Nobody wants to die playing the harmonica. Nobody. No, I mean, I've seen I've seen plenty of people on stage die playing harmonicas. But, <laughs> but, um, yeah, true, true, it's not a, true. It's not a good, good instrument. Anyway, should we get in some games? Enough of this. Star, we're not a Star Wars podcast. No, enough <laughs> of this nonsense. <laughs> The very idea of it. <laughs> just, what we got? We've got another nine. nine. Nine to get through. Nine. So there's nine more. Should we get into them? Yeah, there's a load of crackers in here. Let's crack on with them. God. Let's crack on wow. with the first first one. And that first one? Well, is it Lead Storm? LED Storm? What is it? Is it is it Rally 2011 Lead Storm? Is it Mad Gear? Uh, it's it's yeah. a game. I mean, I guess it is LED Storm because the LED stands for Laser Enhanced Destruction Storm. Yeah, it's, it's LED Storm, yeah. Yeah, so I'd say LED but, but what does Laser Enhanced Destruction mean? It means nothing um, with this game. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very strange <laughs> title. It means nothing. Anyway, it's an arcade conversion. It's made by Capcom. This is LED. I'm going to just refer to it as LED Storm. It's LED Storm. Uh, made by Capcom for arcade originally in 1988. And after a bit of digging, there seems to be a few revised versions of this that were released with different stories, different options for the game, all kinds of weird, crazy crap. Um, in the original version uh, that was released, which was called, I believe, Rally 2011, was it? And then it became just Lead Storm and then oh, Mad dear. Gear. It, it's all very confusing. Anyway, in the original version of this, the original arcade release, I think it's very hard to sort of get a, a, a bead on this. You, uh, yeah, you, so you had a car because that's the, it was in the original version. You had a car that could transform into a bike with the push of a button. In the Ooh. revised version, this was removed, and you could choose from three vehicles at the start of the game. Different mm. changes like that. So they completely changed the control system. Uh, the story also changed from a variant of the Milky Way advert where the red car and the blue car had a race. Um, <laughs> it's literally the. It's, it's two. It's a red guy in a blue suit and a guy in a red suit, and they're in red yes. and blue cars, and they have a race. It's All he wants to do is stuff back. his face. Yeah, yeah. He eats. What is it? He eats everything. Everything he sees. he sees, from trucks to prickly trees. Prickly trees. But <laughs> smart old Bluey took the Milky Way. Yes, that's what it was. Anyway, uh, and it changed <laughs> to something about a guy called Fred wanted to win in a race. I honestly have no idea. Um, Crazy. And like I said, it was also then renamed to Mad Gear for some reason in 1989. There was also, there was a, in the original, there's a computer that gives you advice at the start of each stage. A little voice. Hey there. And stuff like that. That was removed. Uh, a lot of the visuals were also redone. Mm. It's a it's a, a, a very odd one. I don't know why they, they just tinkered with this and changed it. And I don't know if it, people didn't like it. They tried to change it. But it is what it is. The thing is, though, the, the, those revisions, they didn't make it to the people that were converting this to the home versions. So what we have here is essentially the original release. This is a conversion of the original release. So this is, I guess, technically, as I said, Rally 2011 led storm. Confused? <laughs> Duh. 
You will be. I am. I was. Anyway, the C64 version of this was by Software Creations for Go, and then I think it was released by US Gold. Again, it's just just stop it. Just release a game. Just brains hurting. <laughs> so Software Creations, so that means the talents of Stephen Ruddy on code, Andrew R. Threlfall and Mark Wilson on graphics, and Tim Follin on sound and music. Clearly a talented team with games like Bubble Bubble and Bionic Commando on their resume right. by this point. Well, the English version of Bionic Commando anyway. So we've seen those and obviously Tim Pollin did some good tunes. There's a decent loading screen um, as we go, showing our car soaring majestically over the buildings of some futuristic city built by Capcom, not rock and roll. Once loaded, we get a, a great, I love this Tim Pollin piece. This Tim Pollin tune is great. I love it. I mean, it's let's not beat around the bush. It starts out with Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple. It does. He's got great, you know, great sounding power chords. He's got really chunky sound. It's a really mm. good sounding power chords, it is. Before heading off into Panpipe, bass infused weirdness. Very yeah, odd. It goes his own path that way. But I'm, and I'm not sure it suits the game. I mean, it's a futuristic racer. Panpipes? Yeah. Weird. It's weird. <laughs> it's very weird. strange. It's it's still a very good tune, though. And it's also very different to the pieces of music that were on the Amiga, Atari ST, and Spectrum. Which yeah, were all, totally. Which were all the same, I think. They're yeah, all very good the as well. it's the only one that's different, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. So weird. But this is a re- weird original piece on the C64. Yeah. I mean, even yeah. if it's smoke on the water for the first few bars, but um, whatever. That I mean, that that bass and that panpipe sound he gets out of the SID, he's so very clever. Crazy. He's so very talented at getting sounds out of the SID that sound like the proper thing. Um, yeah, there's no doubt about that. That bass noise, that sort of... Like, really good. The guitar noise and stuff. Great tune, it's a great tune. Anyway, title screen itself, uh, equally nice. Got a raster bar effect scrolling title at the top that looks pretty cool. Sort of a big chunky bar and then this sort of opposite scroll for the for the name of the game. Loads of fading text, some great font work, credits, high scores. All looks very nice. It's a nice front end to this game. Not much in the way of options, just is what it is. You know, the game gets going. Pressing fire starts the game and we get a really nice sounding arcade tune. Again, doesn't sound like a proper, doesn't sound like a C64 tune. It sounds like an arcade tune get great sounds falling disc gets great sounds out of the sid like nobody else i think nobody else manages to do what he does um with some of the sounds he gets uh, so yes we get that and a map of the course ahead of us so there's we sort of see a map where we're going to go that then scrolls off to one side and we get some introductory text from our onboard computer the storm navigating computer type mark one that is mounted on our storm 11 vehicle it just Actually. pops up to tell us that it does <laughs> like, Hello, I'm this. All right, okay. Are you going to be able to any any help? No, 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 Thanks no. Thanks for that. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm just here to for some reason. But you know, if we don't want to call him on that, we can call him Max. I don't know. I don't know why. He's just Max. Weird. Max. 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 Pressing fire. Then it's all quite. You know, we can quickly skip through this if you want. So it's quite nice. Gets into the first track. There's a really nice sort of um, scrolling, uh, sort of dissolving character effect as well for everything. Um, it's really good presentation at the front end of this, like I said before, so it's really nice. Yeah, we'll get into the game. We've got nine tracks to get through that we have to race through. So as we saw on the map, those nine are the Capital, Netwood Forest, Coral Sea, Big Cave Tunnel, Ruins Desert, Million Valley, which oddly is not on the map, Thunder Road, Mar- Marine, I think it's in the arcade, it's called Marine Snowy Pipe or Marine Snow Pipe something, but here it's Marine Snowy Pipe. And finally, Sky City 009. There are nine tracks. So essentially this game, um, after the map screen fades out, we get our view of the game. And essentially this is a top-down uh, racer, I guess. It's a top-down racing game. And you may be forgiven if the word spy hunter jump into your head at this point. Um, because it has, you know, there's a similarity to that game um, in the viewpoint. 
you're top down and it's car. It looks like a bit like Spy Hunter. It's nicer than Spy Hunter, obviously, but it looks a bit like Spy Hunter. But it's but this is you know much much nicer. Uh, the road itself in this opening tent is high above the city, where so kind of a bounder like effect really. So we're you know the the background in the back small it's like the whole it's all small blue sky skyscrapers everywhere, and uh, we can see that. Um, and there's a nice you know that the road is way above them, so that's quite cool. Um, our red car that we're in because uh, we drive the red car um, waits at the start line. Then a blue car comes up, and off we go. Controls are very simple, really simple. Up to accelerate, down to brake, left and right steer, fire to jump. That's it. No power-ups. Well, not nothing that you control. You can go in stuff, but nothing else to it. Really simple. So there's no shooting in this game. Not like Spyro, so there's, yeah, you shoot Spyro, can't you? So there's no shooting in this game, and all the other vehicles on the road must be either avoided or jumped over or jumped on to destroy them, uh, apart from a couple where if you touch them, the big truck towards the end, any touch to that will you know, make you uh, crash. As we traverse the roads, the UI at the top of the screen gives us our various readouts, which include the distance to go to complete the stage, our energy levels, don't let your energy run out, and our fuel level, again, don't let that run out. Either of those run out, game over. Your score is up there as well, and... That's quite narrow across the top. It doesn't take up too much space. The rest of the screen, it's all the game. It's all game, so it's nice. Uh, big, a lot of, uh, of screen real estate taken up with the game here. Not much UI. Good to see. There are various things to collect on the road, such as extra fuel and energy that you have to jump into floating balloons to get, along with some power-ups that are E for extra energy, B for a temporary barrier, and P for extra points. I can't help feel that <laughs> there's only the B that's really B and the E. The points is nice, I guess, but... It's the B and the E you want, isn't it? Um, the B especially, because that allows you to sort of barge through everything. Also, along with the other cars, there are frogs on the track as well, that, um, like just running along. And you have to avoid them because if they don't, they'll hang onto the back of your car and stop you from jumping. But I found if you need to sort of waggle across the track to get rid of them, if you waggle a bit back and forth, you can actually shake them off um, or go over a jump because there are some jumps on the track. If you get to the end of the stage before uh, before your energy or fuel runs out, then you get a little congratulatory message from Max and it's on to the next stage. Um, and should you get through all nine, we get a well done message and your car goes driving across the screen. Very nice. As arcade conversions go, I thought this is a very good one considering some of the dross we've been sort of presenting with recently uh visually it's excellent i thought well-defined cars plenty of road to drive on so you never feel too hemmed in um it's medium res but it moves smoothly the jumping is well handled there's a good sense of scale as you do it the road is fairly basic in the first level but it's got a really good parallax scrolling background giving a great feeling of height to the road you're on and it also you know it goes both left and right so the the track is sometimes with splits and goes in different directions it's wider than it is you know than the screen can handle it's and that all, all scrolls across both up and you know the actually upward scrolling stuff and the left to right very smoothly all looks good each course has its own unique visuals not all of them are in the skies the second course goes takes you through a desert and even one of the later ones seems you drive through the skeleton of a huge dinosaur uh, and it all looks kind of cool. It's 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 good. It's a really good version of the sort of original arcade game in in sixty four K. It's a great mix of styles from one course to the next. Some of the backgrounds, the sort of parallax ones, when you are up in the sky, they're a little bit simplistic, but they work. You know, and they give you a nice sense of height um, because obviously there are gaps in the uh, roads as well. You fall off them. You don't want you want to jump over them. If you fall, you lose time. Things like that. Yeah, it's got uh, each one. Like I said, has its own atmosphere. There's a mix of great tunes throughout to keep the action pumping along. It's just you know, it it all hangs together very well. It's exactly what we kind of come to expect from the people who did Bubble Bobble and Bionic Commando. They know how to sort of squeeze these kind of these games into the C64, and they've done a really good job here. The controls I found I found were fast and responsive. Everything works just as you want it to. And the entirety, uh, bar some speech, um, of that original arcade game is pretty much here. And it's all in one load. Nice. You know, what can you say? It's a, it's a, 
as, as arcade conversions go, it's a good one. It is hard, though, <laughs> as you would expect it to be. It's very hard. Um, with some of the later courses being absolute nightmares to try and navigate as the jumps between the track parts are not always straight on. And it, so it becomes something of a bit of a memory test. But that was the arcade game as well. So they've converted what was a very hard arcade game, because of course it would be, because they want your money, um, into a very hard C64 game. You know, and... and and it even it is really hard. I mean, it took me, and I'll be fair, it took me a few goes just to get to the second stage um, because of that bloody truck at the end. But when you figure out, you just hang, actually just stay on the right. Um, you can get past that quite easily. So yeah, this you know, if you want to play this, this is a solid version. It got what was it, ninety four percent, ninety two percent, and it's I think it's pretty much worth that as as arcade conversions go. This is a very good one, and I think it's going to keep you coming back because it's got a bit of a it's got a nice hook to it. It is tough but it's just what you kind of want to expect. And when I was playing this, the games that I was most reminded of, and I mentioned this to you, was, uh, and this is like an early precursor to Nintendo's F-Zero series of games, um, I thought, which I I know are in 3D, they're behind it, but if you think about how those games are like on a track suspended above cities and you're flying along them really fast and futuristic stuff, there's a, there's a similarity in it. You know, if you drop the viewpoint of this, if you could do that, then I think you'd have something quite similar. There was also that top-down Captain Zero, is it Captain Falcon? No, Captain Falcon, sorry, minigame in Nintendo Land, where you sort of, uh, on the Wii U, the launch title in mm-hmm. Nintendo Land, where you kind of, you were looking at the uh, the track and sort of using the uh, tablet to sort of steer yourself around. And I thought that that looked very similar to Lead Storm. There's a lot of similarities. You know, futuristic racing above cities, there's a, there's a similarity there. So yeah, it wouldn't, I don't, you know, if you took this in 3D, I think it wouldn't look too dissimilar to Nintendo's franchise. But but anyway, I actually thought this was very good on Revisit. I enjoyed my time with it. It's certainly one of the better arcade ver- conversions we've seen on the C64 recently. And I think it's, whether you, uh, your mileage may vary, again, how much you like the arcade game, how much you sort of get on with this. So it's, you know, it's up to you. I, I found my time with this enjoyable. And I thought the actual conversion that this is, is certainly up there with the best we've seen. It's fast, looks and sounds great. All the games there in one load. I thought it was impressive stuff, this. I really enjoyed it. What about you? It's kind of arcade central at the moment, isn't it? They're thick and fast, yeah. these arcade conversions. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not so good. This one's one of the better ones, at least. Nice style to this. Always has had the style, Let's Storm, on every form, every version of this on every format is pretty cool. It's not an arcade I'd ever come across, ever, in any of the variations of it, ever. Or at least not knowingly. I might maybe I played it as mad whatever the hell it was and not realised. But I've never I, I don't think I've yeah. I don't think I've ever come across it. But this is kind of a madder, faster, jumpier spy hunter in some ways. Not quite the same, but it's that, you know, there's 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 obviously a thread there, isn't there, with it. Yeah. But the graphics are good. The scrolling's very good. It's rock hard. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but you know, it's an arcade conversion, and the arcades, like you said, exactly right. You know, they're they're there to take your money. They're not there to keep you entertained. Are you not entertained? No, not <laughs> when it's this hard. Everyone remembers this for the music. Everybody does. It's one of those great C sixty four tunes. I actually prefer some of the in uh, the in game tunes more than the opening theme, and I actually do prefer the music that's on the Amiga version and all the other versions as the opening music as opposed to the one that's on the C sixty four. That isn't to say that it isn't very good, because it is. The music player for this was actually coded by Steve Ruddy. He wrote the music player at the request of Tim Follin. Tim Follin right. punched all those numbers in by hexadecimal. He didn't even have a keyboard. So that, that music was hexadecimalized in his head. Guy's gifted. Guy's gifted, because that's <laughs> yeah. just incredible. Um, so it sounds amazing, whichever way you swing it. And the game does look and function really nicely, doesn't it? I, I enjoyed my time playing it. It was so hard. I mean, when I got to the trucks at the end of level one, <laughs> I was screaming at this stupid screen. I'm like, "Get stop touching me!" Because there's kind of an after-touch thing. You respawn, you come back on your little trailer thing, you jump off, you instantly touch a truck, and you're like, "No, 
why? But that's, you know, that's the kind of game it is. And it's that, that, it's that sort of um, injustice in this game that keeps you wanting to come back. Um, but there's a frantic pace to it all, and that's quite exciting. And it has all the parts of the arcade, because I had a quick look on YouTube at the, well, one of the arcade versions, but the main one. It's all there, really. Might not be, you know, as fancy, but most of it's there. And it isn't, not, not I say it's not as fancy. It's still pretty fancy, even for for the C64 game. Mm. So I made it to level two. I was quite proud of that, because I actually managed to sort of scoot round past the annoying truck that seemed to always hit me no matter where I went. Mm-hmm. I could read my mind. At one point, I was convinced of it. Um, but the pace of the game's good. It might get a bit boring over time, maybe, you know, but is this a game you're going to sort of sit there and play for six hours? Maybe, maybe not. It's probably a game you're going to play for a bit, come back. Once you've figured out the route through, you're going to get to level two and you're going to progress through this. But I don't know if it's just going to be something that you're going to, you know, you're going to bang your head against the wall with on a long term basis, but it is pretty good. The only thing I didn't sit quite right with me was the 92%. I felt that might be a little high for this. I would have put it maybe in the 80s, not in the 90s, but that's just about, no, that's a, that's a me thing. But it is pretty good, all said and done. And certainly one of the more accomplished arcade conversions that we've had the pleasure of playing because it seems to me there's loads of them come in and they ain't all as good as this one. No. Hats off no, to the not. people that made this. And of course, a big old wink to uh, Tim Follin for creating some really interesting music. And he makes sounds on that C64 like nobody else. Yeah. So if you if you if you want to listen to you now the guy that made the Sid sound completely unique, well, Tim Follin is one of those people. So I would definitely recommend you listen to his little cluster of C64 tunes on Sid Play when you get a downtime moment. But other than that, good stuff, good place to start, wasn't it? Ninety percent bit high, but whatever, still good, still good. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 yeah, maybe I'd have given it night. I think it's a sizzler. I think it's strong enough. It's well done enough to be a sizzler for me um, for what it is. But there you go. Lead Storm, LED Storm, Rally 2011, Lead Storm, or something. It's <laughs> LED <game>. Storm. Yeah. <laughs> LED Storm, laser. But you see what I mean? Laser enhanced destruction. There's no lasers. There are no, no lasers no in lasers, this game. No, just it's just words. Just words. Just nonsense. Anyway, there we go. That's Lead Storm. Let's move on to our next one. And, well, it's another car game of sorts to keep the uh, the trend going. This is, and the pleasure was all yours in this case, Graham, Techno Cop. It is Techno Cop. It was like, dis- it was Blue Adonis, wasn't it? Disco Cop. Reminds me of that. Yeah. Do you remember that track? I don't know if you remember techno, that track. Techno, it was a- techno, techno. No, cop. no, not that one. Blue Adonis Disco Cop was like a big club hit in the noughties. It's actually sampled from a track called Ich Bin We Do. Uh, but there you go. Anyway, I still don't know why we're talking about that. It's nothing to do with this game. This is published by Gremlin Graphics. £10 this well, nine, One pence short of a tenner to you. But all right, okay. Design was Grey Matter. Image XL. Giving you name, self names like that is going to help you here. Um, it was actually coded by the Roaches, Dave, Dan, and Cock. Unfortunately, name person really. No, it was just Dave and Dan. Um, <laughs> I had and to think then for a moment. I was like, Cock, oh, Roach. Okay. <laughs> so the code, it's, this is a bit weird, right? So Dave and Dan Roach did the coding, and Chris and Nick Gray did the graphics and, and coding. And Ben Daglish is on music duties. Okay, but it got 17%. 17%. Something's one, gone wrong. A one and a seven. Something's gone horribly, <laughs> horribly wrong. What not could in it good be? Order. Well, let's start with a little bit of the blurb. You are techno cop. You personally, me, a member Yay. of the, <laughs> a member of the most elite crime fighting force in the country called the Enforcers. Why aren't they called techno cops? Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't doesn't matter. Your mission is to capture at any cost ruthless criminals who paralyze the city unless you stop them. Okay, just causing traffic jams by the sound of it, but okay. 
Yeah. Before you start your journey, you are equipped with the latest crime fighting equipment at your disposal. <laughs> at are your you? disposal as a, as a computer wristwatch. It's full of a whole gang of gimmicks. It's a mighty handy item. <laughs> is it Cassio? A high, po- <laughs> a high power criminal radar locator. The power is irrelevant, all right? It just needs to locate criminals. It doesn't matter about the power. Criminal really. radar. Is that what CRL stands for? Uh, okay, yeah. I'll say yeah. Uh, a snare net gun. Always handy. Mighty handy item. And a .88 Magnum pistol. A .88. You can't just do that to Magnums. <laughs> that's that's massive. Do, you can't do a .44. <laughs> What's better than a .44 you know, Magnum? An 88 Magnum. No. It's double, isn't bazo- it? That's a bazooka. It's <laughs> a bazooka you got there. Okay, anyway. And you'll be driving the Force's newest high-speed pursuit and destroy vehicle. I'm thinking pursuit and destroy may not be what you want to put on the side of that. Just saying. Is it, is it a Porsche 1822? Because it's no, double this. a Porsche 911. They've called it the V-Max Twin Turbo Interceptor. What? Okay. All right. Okay. You're on your way to thwart the operations of a sinister organized crime empire known throughout the world as Death on Arrival. <sighs> I went to see them once. They were pretty good. I saw them at Rock City. <laughs> Death on Arrival. You speed down treacherous highways, encountering attacking DOA cars. Use the extensive weaponry built into your car. Extensive weaponry? All right. Uh <laughs> Depend on your criminal locator radar to tell you, you there is a crime in progress. You Michael Palin in uh, Life of Brian then. Half a denarii for my bloody life story. <laughs> it makes me feel like this. So you depend on your criminal locator radar. and just call it a criminal radar. Why this locator business? To tell you where there's a crime in progress, giving you the time needed to arrive at the scene in order to apprehend a vicious criminal. Rush to the scene to make it, but don't lose control of the car. And avoid getting hit by attacking DOA cars. That's just plain old common sense. Mm-hmm. Once there, your crime computer shows you the face of a wanted DOA criminal on the screen. Your assignment, as you leave your car to enter the building where the criminal was last reported seen, just in case you forgot that bit, is to capture him dead or alive as instructed by the crime computer. Using your criminal radar locator and computer wristwatch, you carefully search through a maze of dilapidated interiors of the building to find the culprit. Just getting around the building is tough enough with broken floors to fall through if careless. Worse yet, DOA thugs abound, eager to wreak havoc on your search. Be careful. Once you've successfully completed that assignment, get back into your VMAX and drive onto your next assignment. That's that's the game. I'll go through the... That's the at least the, no, the setup. That's the blurb. Yeah, yeah, it's the blurb. Mm-hmm. So it's a game split into two parts. One is a driving type game akin to an outrush-ish idea. Uh, the second part is more of a walk and shoot. You mean outrun? Death, sorry, outrush. What did I say? You said outrush. Outrush, outrush, maybe that. Because I've written outrun-ish, so it's outrush-ish. Outrun-ish. 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 <laughs> You've gone on Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Full <laughs> I Sean very Connery. much enjoyed playing outrush. <laughs> outrush. The second part is more of a walk and shoot, so it's kind of Death Wish 3-like, I guess-ish. Not quite as violent as that, but walking left and right, shooting and stuff. Yeah, huh? yeah. Less frantic, but, you know, walking left and right and scrolling levels and going up and down lifts. You know how it is, walking left and right, going up and down, shooting and that. Anyway, in between all of the games, title screens are long and painful with their load times. There's no speed loading here. This is a slow loader, and painfully so. A slowder. A slowder. Nothing kills the action quicker than slowing like this. <laughs> yeah. Does it? Nothing, nothing, no. If, imagine if an action film did this in the cinema. <laughs> nothing it, says futuristic techno cop like looking at a screen with nothing happening for a long exactly. time. Exactly. Yeah, nothing. No indication of anything. So the first game part is played out, like I said, outrun style on the road. You are driving your VMAX, which I guess is in the S-Max, C-Max line of Fords. So probably quite family friendly with large boot space, I'd imagine. 
Um, well, you need to for all those uh, upgrades and stuff and gang of gimmicks he's got in the back. All those criminals and bodies you're going to be carrying. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, anyway, your car is too big for the road you are on in this game. Straight off the bat, I'll tell you now. The car's too big and the roads are too small. Yeah. Um, the screen is split into two halves. Upper section is the road view, which is a grey road on various coloured backgrounds with a glitch in the overly bendy, non-navigable road with enemy cars splatted around on it. You control this thing with the joystick. Up, down is accelerate and brake. Left, right, steer, left and right. Fire shoots your cannon and spacebar uses any weapons you may have. Under that is a text here, which will, if you have them, indicate extra weapons and bonus items you have, ranging from turbo speed boost to nuclear bombs. <laughs> stupid. <laughs> stupid. So stupid. <laughs> so have, utterly, yeah. utterly Stupid. A normal bomb would suffice. <laughs> yes, having just watched the film Oppenheimer, I'm pretty sure he didn't predict that. Anyway. I, I have become death, the destroyer of worlds, <laughs> except that VMAX car, which is nuclear bomb-proof. It's got it to have a, a, a... That is what you call a big boot space, if you can fit a nuclear bomb in there, not alone more than one. Blimey, crazy. Below that is the UI panel, which gives you your RPM for reasons that make no sense whatsoever. Your MPH, of course, your time, your score, and your damage in a window with some simple text-based information like car will crash or stop car now. Useful, that. <laughs> it's an automatic, so there's no gear changes needed. The engine sound, though, is a high-pitched squeaky drone that sounds more like a broken dentist drill than a car. And when the road zooms into view with you lumbering around on it, you have no real control of this thing. Clip any of the cars or various objects on the side of the road, like cactuses, and your car will spin out of control for ages just spinning spinning <laughs> oh the spinning uh, eventually it will stop and then it will slowly go back to the middle and i mean slowly and then you start up and start the speeding up process and some badly animated and drawn clouds of sprite smoke will appear and off you go with a kind of ee, ee, ee kind of sound it's so bad yeah um you're against the clock here so any delays are costly and if you do die and you'll want to and um, you'll go back to the title screen after more loading which is very depressing the whole purpose of this tiresome funless episode is to get you to the place where you get out the car and find an arrested criminal. So eventually you'll be asked to pull over and slow down. You will do this, and your car will suddenly jump sideways, and a blocky humanoid thing will shuffle out of the car, and then there's more loading. Sloading. I mean, talk about sort of changes of direction in a car. He goes from sort of rear view to like side view, parking. Like, yes, wow, it, okay. It's auto, he's techno-comic. He's literally Auto-Man. It's, he's doing auto 90 man. degrees. They could have called it that, couldn't they? They could have. So now you have a split screen for the second part of the game, but it's different. At the top, you have a view of your player sprite sideways on like. Under that is your arm and a view of your wrist command console. It's <laughs> <is> stupid. <laughs> you control Rubbish. your techno cop with the joystick. Left and right will move, down will crouch, and upper angles perform the kind of leap a kangaroo would be proud of. Man, this guy can leap. <laughs> It's actually faster to leap around like a crazy kangaroo in this game than run. The fire button shoots your gun or fires your net. Spacebar will flip between the two. And depending on your instructions, this is what you want to do to either capture the criminals dead or alive. The middle of the screen is a single line of text with your score, number of nets and remaining time. Looked to me like very much of an afterthought that, like almost like it was bolted in from another game and that these two games had no connection to each other whatsoever till a certain point. Mm -hmm. um, but that's just maybe that's just me. The Risk Command console has a small window with an image of a digitized face for your perp, a mini-map indicating their location, direction, and a gun net toggle switch. So it's just obvious which one you're on. You can't miss that. Thank God Thank God they put that on there. <laughs> well, I thought that was the uh, name of their sort of uh, internet type thing. Gun, <laughs> gun net. net. With your, with your point <laughs> eight <be>. magnum. <laughs> um, it also shows your left hand where you are either holding a small sausage or gripping your thumb. Joe is out on that one. Let's hope it's a saucy. Well, it looks like it because nobody has their hand like that. I'm trying to sort of do it. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> nobody does that. Why would you do that? Well, you wouldn't. 
<laughs> Nobody's thumb does that. <laughs> so stupid. So so stupid. Either that, or well, you are assuming that's his arm because technically it could be his foot. Well, well, it's his wrist computer. Where would he put his wrist computer? He's got <laughs> he's no his, his ankle. <laughs> he's just missing a his, toe. His leg computer. I'm just going to look at me. Where me? Where's look at the map? <laughs> uh! Be a bit weird. Um, it might be disadvantaged. Anyway, the idea is to use the mini map to locate and then capture or kill the criminal you're after. Fair enough. This means walking left and right, using lifts to go up and down floors, and shooting and avoiding enemies that will constantly bug you. Most of the enemies are slower than you and shoot slower, so they are really easy to deal with. When you do get to a criminal, which you will eventually, you'll kill or capture with your gun or net and then be told if you've succeeded or not, which is really strange because I netted someone who went, you stupid idiot, you meant to shoot that one. I was like, all right. And then when I shot the other one, stupid idiot, I meant to have captured him. I'm like, you stupid game. <laughs> Doing what you ask. Um, anyway, you get told whether you've succeeded or not. I followed the instructions, and like I said, I got told I failed. So no idea whether it's working or not. Something would have gone wrong. Failure is more loading, and success is more loading, only to go back to the car and repeat with moderately different coloured backgrounds and horizon detail. And that, as they say, is that. <laughs> Awful. The game looks to e- either be a downport from the Amiga Atari ST versions that were released at the same time, the Amiga and the C64, and have this weird dual review thing in Zap, which is awful. I hope they don't stick to that for long. Graphics in the car section are badly drawn and more or less single colour. It's the blocky horror picture show all the way with this one, I'm afraid. The enemy cars fidget and shuffle around. The road effect is lame and twitchy with added glitchy. And the whole thing feels like it has no real speed or fun. The extra weapons don't help and pressing T quits the game and does not perform your turbo, which it should. And that's very annoying when you do that. You think, oh, turbo, T. End game. Oh, who makes quick game T? Nobody does that. <laughs> What's it even stand for? Well, I thought it turbo would be T. Well, yeah, that's what no. I'm saying. Yeah, usually it's Q or Q or run stop, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not in this game. No, it's not. That's far too logical. Uh, the sound here is akin to a house fly that has been recently sprayed with raid and is now doing its final buzzing breakdance on a windowsill. Best way I could describe that. In the tracking and terminating thugs section, the graphics are confusing as they are supposed to be inside, but they look like you're outside. There are medium res walls and doors in shades of blue or red, some grey floors and occasional lifts. The screen scrolls as you walk with a reasonably well animated sprite, I guess. Not terrible, but then kind of not great. And then you shoot and you run and capture and do all that stuff. The scrolling is okay in all the directions and the lift as well. It goes up and down, left and right. It's odd. I suppose you can live with that. The sprites are not classically terrible, terrible, but they're not great. It's all a bit rough around the edges. They do all look kind of okay, and it sort of works okay in the background for this bit, but it's nothing special. There's very little to no variety with any of the backgrounds, and they do all look both dreary and very samey all the way through. And the animation, well, the only thing I could really say is the running cycle is okay, but the sheer power of that leap will give you a good (laughs) laugh, if nothing else. I mean, just I was leaping (laughs) over enemies like crazy, like it got power springs for legs. Other than that, you get a pretty lame deal, really, aren't you? So I guess the game flips between a boring car game and a dull walking around game. Not the greatest of two genres, that. The second of the two is the lesser of the two evils, but then neither are very exciting anyway. So, you know, the lesser of two evils, it's still not very good. What music is here in the title screen, it's not great either. Certainly not the standard we've seen from Ben Douglas in other compositions and other games. I got the impression that this was two separate games, as I've said, that were clearly bolted together for some reason and released with a weak story linking them and some kind of score tracking added which looks kind of fused into the second game with that Commodore font in the middle, where it's not adhered to in any other part of the game. It was out on all the other formats, including the Sega Genesis eventually. Uh, mm. But this version is a mess with some occasionally okay graphics, maybe, but really lame and disjointed gameplay that quickly removes any fun and enjoyment. And of course, you've always got that slowder to contend with and that. Well, that kills it off once and for all. Full price for this? No, absolutely not. No, no, 17%. I think it's about right. Not great. Techno crap. What about you? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> just what is this it's another Gremeg 
<laughs> it's, it's, a, it's got the Gremgen in full effect with this Gremgen is a Gremeg of the lowest quality. It, I hated this. It's hard to know where to start with what's what's the worst thing about this. Like you, you've noted the ungodly long loading times, the slowing. Although actually, I did actually realise that they're actually a boon because while it's loading, I'm not playing it. <laughs> yeah, there is that. So, was this you know, tape game as well? Or was this tape? And it's yeah, it was on tape. Up? Yeah. God, you imagine how long it took on tape. Yeah. Oh my God, there's there's still people waiting for it now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Kevin Toms. Someone got it. <laughs> Has the game loaded, Peter? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, Grandad, the computer shit itself off hours ago. Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> start, start again. Oh, no. Rewind the tape, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> it's chewed up. Oh, get a pencil. <laughs> oh, bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. Next week, Peter and Steve play Technocop Part 2. What is this? It's rubbish. The dreadful driving stage, Duplo cars, and a 3D effect that's among the worst I've seen since Knight Rider. Awful. Then there's the interior sections which play out like a turgid Death Wish 3. This is cack awful on every front. Um, and it's essentially, it, it, if you think about it, it's it's that Knight Rider game. Drive somewhere. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Whereas that Knight Rider game was a nicked um, sensible software, you know, the power power lap sort of yeah, thing for the bit. Right. But this is, you know, this is nicked um, Death Wish 3. So you drive somewhere, yeah. you do something, repeat. It's awful. It's an awful thing. It's terrible on every level. There's not a good thing. I couldn't, there's not a good thing I can say about this apart from <laughs> maybe, like you said, the animation on the main guy in the interior bits is is okay and some of the graphics are right but it plays dreadfully boring it takes ages to do anything and it's not worth it none of it's worth it no (sighs) the idea i mean technocop it's robocop even that's nicked (laughs) (laughs) it is totally i wasn't gonna say that but yeah it totally is it's no it's like it's like bad robocop in it there's no techno in it (laughs) no there isn't he's got got a casio watch (laughs) (laughs) and he holds a sausage in his hand all the time (laughs) That's the extent of the technology here. It's got a shit car, and also it's all yellow, um, it and it's is, driving yeah. towards the pyramids. Where's this set? Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't I forgot about that. Why are they there? So, I saw someone else mention that somewhere as well. I think it was on Lemon. Someone put, "Why are the pyramids in there?" I'm like, "Yeah, actually, yeah, there is pyramids." Yeah, on every other version. If I'm looking at all the others, the, the landscape is green <laughs> on every other yes. version. Even yeah. like even on the Apple II, which doesn't have green, it's green. <laughs> It has, but the entire city, I'm looking at the C64 and it's all yellow. It's set in the desert with pyramid. Rubbish. Because it's easy. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. And the shooting, and when that first car blew up and that blocky (laughs) explosion happened, I was like, oh. (laughs) It does make you, you're like, oh, it's all naffing it. And that sound goes, you're like, oh, no. It's rubbish. I mean, don't get me wrong. The idea, we talk about, you know, where other games do this sort of thing. Somewhere down the line, around about 90, about 2000, 2001, on the Dreamcast, there's a company called Amuse, and they released a game called Headhunter, which saw you as a futuristic bounty hunter who drove around a city on his bike, taking down hits in various locations. But it's better than this. It's way better. That game was great. Headhunter was a great, great game on the Dreamcast. But driving yeah. bits are a bit pointless, but the actual industrial and heavily influenced like Metal Gear Solid with sort of cover shooting. This isn't, though. This is awful. No, awful on every no. level. I hated it. Just 17%. Yeah, it's just, it's just dreadful. That bit where you stop, pull over. <laughs> yeah, they didn't think that bit through, did they, when they made it? Like, how are we going to stop him when he pulls over? I'll just turn the car sideways. Do we need, do we need some frames of animation there? Where we're going, <laughs> we don't need roads. <laughs> and why <laughs> choose a family, family-based, family you know, family yeah. people carrier for a, you know, don't use that. The, you yeah. know, I'm sure the, the VMAX is probably capable of in a nuclear arsenal. But it just seems a bit overkill. A nuclear bomb seems overkill for a you know policeman. Yeah, and then some. 
<laughs> rubbish. It's hated it. Yeah. Techno cop. Let's techno more time over that. Yeah, good. Rubbish. Well said. Let's, let's move yeah, along yeah. to our next one. Ah, <laughs> uh, and finally, well, we're in budget land next. Budget land. Where it's Terrifier. Techno cop. Terrifier. It's all the T's in a row here. Terrifier. This is one pound ninety nine. Uh, it feels like a while since we've had one of these, one of these kind of games. But here we are again, safe in Iridium territory, but also with hints and nods to Delta as well. So, you know, nothing like ambition for a £2 game. So uh, fair play for trying to cram two types of horizontal-style scrolling shooter together, I guess. So, yeah, this is Terrifier from Zeppelin Games. Uh, it was created by Jamie Irvine and Peter Goldsmith with uh, music by Adam Gilmore. So I didn't have a version with loading screens, but there seems to be some images of loading screens on Lemon64. Um, they went on the version I had. Uh, they do look quite nice, though. So, you know, would keep in with the level of presentation that this game actually has, So, which is, I thought, pretty high for a budget title. So it's a good, good front end, nice, nice loading screens, things like that. There is a story of sorts. And according to the box, it is thus. Your planet is under threat from the enemy force who are moving perilously close to your world. Your best pilots have tried and failed to turn the enemy back. And now it's up to you, a rookie who has never seen action. If you fail... There can only be one fate for your world. Complete destruction. And that's the story. So it's just, it is what it is. It's, you know, the basics of basics of story. So when it does load up the title screen, good font, lots of colours. There's a high score table. Pretty good tune as well for Mr. Gilmore. A rather excellent tune for Mr. Gilmore. Harking back to some sort of, I thought was a sort of Galway-ish type of uh, tune. Um, but I really liked it. It was really nice. Um, in fact, I wanted it to be a bit longer. But yeah, still good though. Pressing fire starts the game and we find ourselves to start with in Iridium territory, first of all. Um, I'm just going to back up a little bit to tell you the structure of this game because it, it follows a set structure. The game has six levels, each of which sorry, are split into three stages. The first stage in, in each level is a Iridium style bi-directional horizontal scrolling shooter where you have to avoid the waves of spaceships and walls. You've played Iridium um, and you've got to shoot the power sources scattered across the stage that are marked with a big flashing N. I think it's about eight of them uh, usually. So if you do, and some of those are in awkward to get places, but you've got to destroy all those. And if you do so, you progress to stage two, which is a left to right scrolling shooter set in space a la uh, Delta, I guess. Enemies come on from the right and the left. They come on from both sides in various waves um, and you have to shoot them all. Just kill everything or just try and survive. You know, so if they go through the side, then it's fine. Progress through this and you get to the final stage, um, which is a big boss. So it's a big end level boss that you have to destroy by blasting repeatedly. And if you blow that up... Then you progress to the next more difficult level, which follows the same stage structure. The screen is split with the bottom two fifths taken up by the UI and the game taking place in well, the top three fifths, I guess. The UI has the core level, which is the amount of damage you need to do on the Iridium stage. And each time you blow up one of the, the big ends that you've got to shoot, this this counts, this goes down, the bar goes down. So you can see how much you've got to still, you know, you're sort of hunting for. Below this, you have your lives, the level you're on, your power which goes down every time you take a hit from anything, your score, and then the name of the game across the bottom in case you needed to remember it for any reason. So in case, what am I playing? Oh, it's Terrifier. There it is. I can see it right at the bottom. So yeah, I'm not quite sure why that's there. Uh, yeah, from a visual standpoint, this is good for a budget title, I thought. it's Well, it's what we'd expect. It's a bit warhawky. It has that sort of look of a high-end budget shooter with some nice shading. It's not quite as good as things like Zamzara or anything like that, but it does have a nice visual style to it. There's some uh, nice shading on the ground objects and the various spaceships and enemy sprites that move in predictable waves and sine waves, and they all look 
pretty much okay. There's, you know, you look like a typical spaceship and everything's fine. From a visual standpoint, got no issues with this. The big enemy bosses are well drawn. The scrolling is smooth and the controls are responsive enough. It's a little, it takes a little bit, maybe too long to sort of turn around in the Iridium section, especially when you've got enemies coming right up behind you. But it is what it is. You know, it's not, it's not terrible because um, it's not like one hit and you're dead. Uh, but I'll come, there is a problem with the hitting and the sort of collision, but I'll come to that in a bit. Um, and shooting is as fast as you can. So, you know, you shoot bullets, so it's all good in that respect. They've got no problem with the controls. Do have some issues, though, with the game. Um, and the main one is the damage taken, how you take damage. I've got no problem with the power bar for you. That's actually okay because, that, like I said, that mitigates enemies that come up from behind you and you can't can't turn around quick enough to shoot them and you you, they, you know you go through them or whatever i like that that's fine however the issue is that enemies don't die on contact with you they pass through you and as they do your health continuously goes down and not only that it goes down after that enemy or the bullet has passed on through it's like it can't calculate all the collisions quick enough so stores them up so you can like you can die a good second after something has moved on from you which is ridiculous and this is particularly annoying with the uh, sine wave enemies because they're quite tricky to avoid and the whole wave kind of just moves through you and it just decimates your health, your power bar. It makes the point of the power bar stupid. It's very annoying. And I mean, really, this should have been the enemies. They are destroyed on contact with you and you lose a slice of health. That's the point of a power bar. And, you know, you've got some... No, I have, I don't have them just constantly go through you and then constantly do a collision with you, knocking your power down and then... You know, I've been hit six times, but it could only calculate it four times while it was doing me. I still need to put the other two in. So you're losing health. That's bad. I didn't like that in the slightest. It just makes no sense to me. Uh, you know, as a someone who makes games and someone who's doing that, just destroy the enemy. You're going to have a power bar. Um, there are also flashing icons, sorry, in the Iridium part, which swap your controls. So up is down and left is right and vice versa, which they're just annoying. I don't get them. I didn't understand the point of them. The game's hard enough as it is. Uh, there's another one that's constantly causing you to speed up. So, yeah, the, the game is tricky. It's not an easy game, this. So you've got 18 stages to get through with three lives. It's hard enough. And throwing in these kind of you know difficulty multipliers, it's just a pain in the ass. So I didn't like that either. It could have been done without them. Yeah, and also there's the weird burbling sound effects in the background that don't make a lot of sense. And they it sounds like they've just ripped them straight out of Paradroid. So they've nicked the idea of Uridium and the sound effects from Paradroid by the sounds of it. It's very odd. But, you know, there are some issues. Those are some issues. But this, but as a, for a budget shooter, what did this get? It got 70-something percent? 63%, sorry. I think that's about right. Those problems with it do bring this do bring it down a bit. It, it It's okay for a budget shooter. It's two quid. You're going to get some blasting action from this. And it mixes things up with the, you know, the two different gameplay styles, the Iridium-style shooter coupled with the Delta-style shooter. That's fine. But some of the design decisions, they're just odd, though. And I think if, if they'd been addressed, they'd sorted out like, don't you don't have a power bar when enemies move through you. It's annoying. This would have fared a lot better with me, I think. But it, I think 63%'s about right. It's an okay budget blaster with some, you know, some nice uh, aspirations, but just a little bit lacking in some of the um, execution. So 63% sounds about right. It was okay. I didn't hate it, but just I got annoyed that it wasn't as good as I was kind of hoping it would be. What about you? It's all right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good music in this. Mm-hmm. It's the one great thing about it. I was really impressed with that. Adam Gilmore in top form there. Nice use of filters and everything for the sound. Title screen was colourful. Nice, lots of raster colours. Always nice to see that. The yep. real winner, that is. It's a right winner. It's a beaut. <laughs> Game was a bit confusing, I thought. Obviously, Eurydium-esque. Eurydium-like. A Eurydium clone. Okay, backgrounds. Very brown. Bit fast-moving. But, you know, and the sprites and stuff. I didn't like the weird floaty inertia on this main ship. Found that quite frustrating to control over time. These games need to be more instant and less inertia yeah, for this bit, kind of yeah. speed of shooter. 
Shooting at the blocks was a bit frantic, I guess, with no real reason or rationale, really. The base relief I found quite hard on the eye at the bottom. When it's all clustered like that as a UI, it gets a bit the like... UI, the UI is not great. It's not very clear. No, you know, just numbers. Bit. Just numbers for things like that. You don't need a lot of this fancy, you know, be, yeah. base relief bars of energy and all that malarkey. But it's not bad looking for two quid, I suppose. And the music is excellent, so it's probably worth it for that two, two quid for just the music alone, because I thought it was really good. It's the best Adam Gilmore piece I've heard, I think, out of all of them. And it was one I'd not heard before, or at least not not remembered her hearing before mm. it's quite a lot to like for a couple of quid it's also quite a lot to hate so it does sit in the kind of 50 to 60 percent mark zap on form again really with the score there i didn't hate it but uh for two quid i probably would have liked it for the customary hour and a half i'd have given it a go i'd have spent more time listening to that amazing music and the title screen though rest mm. of it yeah could give it a miss yes yeah absolutely right i mean i'm just looking at some of the sort of alien ship designs they're just they're completely ripped off from things like our type and things like that and it's you know it's wearing all of its influences on its sleeve for, yeah, for sure so. but mm, yeah just not doing any of the exciting bits nothing new two no. quid uh, we're expecting it for two quid i guess yeah 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 that's no, okay good a, a decent budget shooter but has its issues there you go uh that's terrifier one more game still to go through for this part so let's let's move on into our last tea game of the section that graham is over to you for tko tko it's in the it's yeah it's a sporty game isn't it accolade mm-hmm. so tko boxing game designed by mike lorenzen who did card sharks and psi5 or sci5 is it producer yeah. was sam nelson graphics roseanne mitchell and the music's ed bogus he did fourth and inches law of the west it's got that kind of pedigree about it this so it's, no, it comes from a good stable, as it were. So the mission is obviously very clear here. It's a first-person boxing game. That is supposedly a more realistic nod to boxing. And so that's basically the premise that they set out in the lengthy instructions for this. Not since the glory days of Baron McGuigan have we had such a dedicated attempt to get things right, I think. There's a lot packed in here. After the title screens and loading, you land on your option screens here. You can resume a previous title quest if you've begun one. It automatically saves your progress and stats, which is quite interesting. You can start a new one or two-player game. Um, I'll come to all the differences and nuances shortly. Then you can choose between three, five, ten-minute rounds. Uh, sorry, three, five, and ten rounds. Not minute rounds. Rounds, the minute, rounds are all three minutes. And um, you can have that if you want to. Then you can, if there's a final option, you can reset all the boxes' stats because as you progress through this game, they're all saved all the time, which is quite mm. cool. Yeah. So that is an important and clever aspect of this game, that it tracks and keeps all the stats for your matches for as long as you are in a title quest as well and beyond. It's quite unique, that, and a quite a nice feature, I thought, about this. It does lend its, give it a sort of persistency that we don't see in many other games of this type at all. So that's quite good. Quite a modern way of looking at the way that game stats should be kept in a game, actually. Very ahead of its time in that respect. The game houses 12 boxes in total, eight computer boxes, and four that you can use and adapt. As you play the game over time, the wins and losses are all recorded to give you a sense of how things are going and who is the challenger and so on and so forth. Also on the option screen, you'll see a grey area that houses the stats and mugshots of the current champion and the top contender. And then below that is a list of the names of the current champion at the top and the four top contenders listed below that. So as you progress, obviously, through the game, you know, assuming that you win by bouts, your name is going to rise the ranks towards get to getting towards the all-important championship map. Ooh. Which is quite clever. If you've played this previously and risen the ranks, your characters, and then you, you dive out of it, you will you can restart with your character in that list. And your character's name and mugshot will eventually appear there as it goes further up as well. So when you become the top contender, you become the one in the middle grey bit of the screen. It's quite nice. That's all good. Mm-hmm. Starting a new title quest for a single player will see the CPU select a current champion and then a roster of contenders with names like Rocco Mulhall, Jerry Hunter, Bad Jose Gonzalez, 
Lee Otis Williams and George Freeman. Make me laugh, that one. Um, <laughs> you're in a title Gordon, quest Gordon's then brother. against five boxers of the eight available, whom all have fixed stats. Five, four, five, five. After that, you're in the gym, and this is where you can name and personalize the stats for your boxers. Remember that this is a game where you have four boxers that you can define the names and stats for. So if one of your boxers gets knocked out or loses, you can then use one of the remaining three, which is actually quite a nice way of giving you more chances to play with different boxing styles. I really like that about this. Indeed, the gym screen shows the contender stats as well and style information at the bottom of the screen. And then you have to use and edit your stats at the top. Along with your name, you can adjust the stance from left to right, power hand, left, right, best punch, head or body, strength, that's sort of a speed power playoff, and weaknesses, whether they're fatigue or cuts. These are adjustable parameters and they do have an impact on how your boxer performs in the ring. So you have to look at the stats of the boxer Mm -hmm. and then think, how am I going to sort of, you know, Alter these. I named my boxing contenders Angry Bastard, Benny Beans, Trousers <laughs> McGee, and of course Calibos. That was his music when he came on. Once you have all that stuff sorted out, you start your boxing match and you'll begin obviously with a ding ding and away we go. Here the screen is split into three sections. At the top, you will see your boxer from the chest up facing into the screen. Underneath that, you will see your opponent facing the screen. And then to the right is a mini UI. This shows you and your opponent's name and energy levels, the current time clock for the round, an overhead view of the ring showing you and your opponent's position in the ring, and the current round indication for however many rounds you have selected for that particular match. Mm-hmm. All very good. Mm-hmm. Unlike other games of this type, you play this one in a kind of dual first-person style perspective. You throw a punch and you will see the movement in the top window as your fists hurl towards the screen. And then you will see where and how they land on your opponent's screen at the bottom. Land a punch and depending on the punch and where you landed it, you will see your head reaction. So heads get knocked about and sideways and you can even see damage appear on their faces and, and they sort of land and get cuts over their eyes and things like that. Quite a nice way it plays out, actually, that. You control your defense and blocking and your punches and jabs with the joystick, notably... You do not need to control your boxer's position in the ring, though what you do does determine how that will sort of play out, and that does also have an impact. So I'll explain that in a minute. There are five defensive positions, that's head, chin, throat, chest, and stomach, which you control by holding the joystick up or down for a half a second or so. This visually changes the positions of your hands on the screen. Remember, you've seen the kind of approach that the box that you're fighting has, so you'll have an idea of their style. But you can also see the kinds of punches they're throwing at you because you can see them and you can adapt accordingly. So if you see this guy's got his hands up, then you can obviously start to think about throwing lower punches in and lower your guard down. Likewise, if their guard goes down and you can adapt accordingly. To block punches, you simply adopt the stance and press the joystick left or right in anticipation of where you think that punch is coming from. That's quite clever. That's a really clever way of doing boxing defense in a game like this. Mm-hmm. So, because if you just anticipate the punches, you just flip your joystick left or flip your joystick right, and you're blocking punches. That's really clever. All right, I, quite, I really quite like that. So, uh, there are essentially target areas you can aim for with your punches. There's nine of them in total, which which all account to the nine areas of the joystick, so the directions and having the, the stick in the middle. So that's upper left, left eye, right, right jaw, upper center nose, left, lower left, left side body punch, upper right, right eye, lower center solar plexus, left, left jaw, lower right, right side body punch, and center or mouth. Those are the kind of, that's the names of them. You sort of get the idea of where they're going to go. The kind of punch you throw is determined by your guard position. You also have a jab, which you can throw if your guard is in one of the two upper positions, that's head and chin. You can also throw in a hook if you're in a throat or chest guard, which is actually a very powerful move. And an uppercut, which is also a powerful one if your guard is low or down at the bottom. So depending on where your guard is and depending on how you're boxing, depends on what kind of punches you can throw. Again, that's a genuinely clever way of thinking about how to control a boxing game. 
to give you more control options. Mm-hmm. So it's not just punch, punch, punch. You know, it, it, you have to think about where you're going to do these punches. You can see the kind of guard position your opponent has, and so you adjust your punching style accordingly. Seeing them guarding a head or a chin might be worth trying an uppercut. Have they got the lower guard? Perhaps jab and then throw in a hook or something like that. You get the idea. And th- also throwing and landing punches does move the boxes around the ring. This is really clever. So if you keep throwing punches in the direction, in a certain direction, your opponent will back away from them in the opposite direction. And if you mix it up, you can actually back your opponents into the ropes or even into a corner. If you do that, um, your punch effect increases. So if you're up against the ropes, I think it increases by about 25%. And if you get them into a corner, your punch power goes up by 50%. So you can start to not finish to get into a corner and knock them out, mm. which is, of course, might be how you're playing this game. If, for example, you're losing on points, I'll come to that as well. So you can and will have lots of bouts in this. And you can, if you manage to do get them into the corner or you manage to get on the ropes, you can sort of sort of angle the fight. As you fight, you'll see your energy bar, which is on there, um, starts to slowly go down. As you land punches or get hit, it'll deplete a little bit quicker. And obviously, the less energy you have, the less effective you are, and the more susceptible you are to getting knocked down or out. Same applies to your opponent. At the end of each round, you'll see who's won the round based on the scores and stats. That is total punches thrown. That's in the round and overall match. Number of head punches, number of body punches, hits taken in the head, hits taken in the body, block punches, damage caused, that's the sum of all the damage caused, and points scored. TKO uses a 10-point must-score system. So the winner of the round gets 10 points, the loser is awarded 8 points if knocked down in the round, and 9 points if they're not. Um, you can press the at key here to pre- in the game to preview the player's attributes at this point in the round. So during the round, you can press the at, press the at key to see where they're at, which is quite a nice touch as well. To win the fight, you can win by total knockout, of course. The boxer does not get up after a count of 10. By technical knockout, getting knocked down three times in a single round, or if the ring doctor decides you or your opponent are too cut up or damaged, uh, or you can win by decision if the player uh, has the most points based on the stat scores, etc. If there is a tie, it goes to who the judges thought displayed the best style, which is really quite an interesting idea as well. Once the fight is finished, you will see the win screen telling you who won, how they won, and if you're the right, and if you're uh, at the right point, you will get awarded the Boxing Federation Championship belt if you've got that far. Mm-hmm. You win, and you see your boxer climb the contender's roster, and you can carry on. If you lose, you're back in the gym where you can use or create from one of the other three boxes that remain of your unranked contenders. The game effectively ends if you win the belt, or you use all of your unranked boxers and fail to win the belt. So in other words, you've gone, you know, you get four cracks at the championship. The two-player game doesn't have the championship belt. It is literally a slug out between you and your mate you can both define the boxes in the same way i've described and the gym and define all the rounds and everything and then when you get into the gym it's two people the same view obviously you're playing a computer opponent but you don't do it for the championship you're just doing it for shits and giggles okay fine now once you understand the parameters of this game its cleverness does gradually dawn on you that there's a lot going on behind the scenes for a boxing game of this type and its simplicity is eliding some of that there's so much going on cleverly masked by some simple controls and very intuitive gameplay notions. The idea of having a roster of unranked fighters is really clever, as is all of the boxing match stats being stored continuously. That's a really nice touch. Graphically, the main view is actually better than you think, and you do get a good notion what's happening. You need to keep an eye on what your opponent is doing and how they're doing and how they're boxing, and your style is determined by how you want to go about it. So you choose how you box in this game. You choose the kind of fighter you want to be. You can go in throwing punches like crazy if you want, but your opponent will just block and potentially jab. Um, so you need to observe tactics and strategy, and you also need to conserve your energy a little. As the rounds progress and you win more points and get ahead, you might go defensive and because you might think, actually, I might win this on points, but I'm not going to get a knockout. Or if you're losing, you might just go full bore and just go, right, I've just got nothing to lose. I'm going to have to try and knock this guy out and get him into a corner. So you, it's a game where those kind of strategic tactics for boxing actually apply. Now, we've not really ever seen that, Maybe Barry McGuigan's, I think, had a little bit of that in it as well, mm. where it had, a t- had the boxing tactics to match the actual action in the ring. 
It's not often it's married together like this. And this is the only really the other time I think I've ever really come across it in this in the C64, obviously. The CPU boxes are not infallible either. There's a nice, unpredictable affordance here. They're not unbeatable. They're tough and they get tougher as you go further up, obviously. And and as you play this game and if you store their stats, the more matches that boxing matches they win, the tougher they get as well, which is really quite clever. They're never going to be insurmountable, but you could find yourself if you're losing all the time and you're and the others are winning all the time, then their stats are going to be quite formidable, which means that you know you a new contender going up against a sort of some of these boxes is going to be quite quite a tough challenge. And I think that's that's quite clever how they've done that as well, which is kind of reflective of how it would be. But they're not infallible. There is a affordance given. The various option screens are perhaps a tad text heavy, but that's not insurmountable to get through either. There's not so many options it's off putting. But it's not. There is enough to feel like you're setting up a good boxing boxer or a range of boxers. And I'd still like the idea that you get four boxers that you can set up and play with at any point in this game or go through with them. I think that's really clever. The boxing moves at good pace with nice graphics for the main sprites and the views. Yeah, they are a little bit oddly drawn, maybe. But you know what? They're just representing boxers, and they do get damaged, and they do have actions, and the animations aren't terrible, and they're quite big on the screen. So you get to see an unusual view of a boxing match, one that we've never seen. I don't think in any other boxing game of this type. It's sort of. Even the super punch-out type games don't really come anywhere near this in terms of the way it's presented in boxing. That two-player POV view is quite clever. Um, and that was the remit of the guys that developed this game in the instruction manual for this. There's a long paragraph about how they want to make sure that they're, you know, they're sick of boxing games not being very good and they're going to make the better boxing game. And this is an attempt to do all of that. And, you know, I, I kind of admire them for that. So it's all at a good pace. The graphics are good. Like I said, you get to see the damage on the boxes. Mike just makes, makes ideas about how you continue. All the sound, of course, fits this. So you've got the usual noise filter crowd sounds and bells and punch sounds and all that thing. So all adds up to a good experience. Now, as boxing games go, this one has a clever blend, for me anyway, a clever blend of strategy, action, and the right amount of affordance to be able to get into it and play at it. Zap didn't like this. At all. In fact, they thought it was boring and that it requires no skill to just throw punches in the game. I think they're massively missing the point of this. They also stated that the looking at the views is difficult as it misplaces your attention. Now, I never found that when I was playing it, but that could be because I've got more experience of playing other games you know, in time, over time. Mm-hmm. So boxing games have evolved over time. So I have the benefit of a lot of experience. They obviously didn't have that. Fair play to them. They didn't have that at the time. But I don't think it's too distracting to... If you're in a boxing match, a real boxing match, you don't just look at one spot. You know, you've got to take in the whole picture. You've got to be aware of your periphery. You've got to be, you know, keep keeping your eye on how things are going and where the hands of the position of the boxer are and all of those things. So those things are are given to you in this game. And I think that's quite good. So I never found some of the problems that Zap had. I found getting into the space of this game and giving it the patience it needed meant I had a few boxers with different styles to box with. And I was able to have some really good intense bouts. I would strongly advise if you're going to have a go and replay this, Put it to 10 rounds if you want a really good boxing match because over the shorter rounds, you don't get the experience of seeing the cuts appear and slugging mm. it out and yeah. thinking about how your rounds are going to strategize. So you need to play it over a longer period. It's just the way it is with this game. Um, and if you do that, you have to adopt those strategies. And because you're doing that, all of those parts of the game that really lift this reveal themselves to you. So over that, so when you get to sort of round eight and you start to think, right, I'm going to have to smack this guy in the face. I need to knock him out. Those, you don't have those thoughts in the short ones. It's, it's really good for that. So I think this game was robbed at 56%. I think that's a bit of an insult for this. I think it's wrong. This is a lot better than that. And I think they went into this expecting a bit of an arcade-style put super punch-out type deal, which this clearly is not. The music and sound and graphics are good throughout, and there's a lot of affordance and merit to the player, and there's a lot of ways you can come at this game, both in the way it controls 
and the way the stats work and the way it saves your data and the amount of contenders you've got and the different variations of those you can have. So it sets yourself up for all sorts of different ways to play it. I think that alone sets this aside outside of any arcade style punch out game that we've ever seen. I really enjoyed this. I thought this was such a well-engineered and thought out game and it really surprised me because I don't normally go for these kind of games like this. There's so much to like here. I would definitely recommend replaying it but do put it onto the longer rounds. Uh, sorry, the longer uh, 10 rounds as opposed to the, you know, the shorter ones. I would also play the excellent XSCRT version if you can get hold of that um, because that gives this much more instantaneous. It's a cartridge-based system, for, isn't it? So it's much more instant. I played both the disc version and the CRT version for the podcast, obviously. I didn't find the loading particularly bad for this, but you know, I did not know that I find it amazing. But I had a lot of fun playing this. I really enjoyed it. There's some great, clever gaming inside of that. I think you've just perhaps got to go at it with that in mind and have the patience to sort of set the parameters for what you want your boxes to be. You do that and TKO is going to unravel itself and reveal itself to be this quite well thought out boxing game that you would not necessarily think it was from just looking at it. But that's all me. What about you? Hmm. Uh, yeah, I, th- I, I think you liked it a bit more than I did, but it's okay. It's pretty good, this. Um, just a quick question. On the version that we played, I, th- I don't know which one I did, there was a really, really incredibly good titles sort of loading screen is that in the game or has somebody added that i don't know i think someone's added that like the sort of mike tyson punching yeah the mike tyson punch yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah it's got I the eye of the tiger added. music yeah i think that's been added by oh. whoever well anyway that was great <laughs> i was like wow that's brilliant <laughs> the boxing glove is the mate is the one i yeah that's what i game. thought because I, I sort of had a look around and i couldn't see any sort of reference to that picture and i was like that picture no, would no, be no. on the screenshots but anyway it was great anyway you i just yeah it's, it, it's like usual accolade menu system in it we've seen that in some of their other other type of sports games obviously this is the fourth of their sort of recent sports games they've had with uh serve and volley uh fast break what else did they do what was the other one the tko uh and what's the other there's some four but, oh, they've done a few, haven't they? I can't think of them. Well, there's sort of four released all, all sort of right now at the moment. But I, I thought this was, was good. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting take doing that head-on visuals. I didn't have a problem with them. That might be because, like you said, we're kind of used to first-person perspective um, yeah, now. So it. having them split is fine by me. I just was like looking. I could take in the whole screen, so I didn't have a problem. Smooth animation, all that. A lot of depth, a lot of stuff going on. I like the ability to tweak the fighter to how you wanted them. Wasn't quite sure why they're all wearing lipstick, but, you know, that is what it is. The red was very red on the lips. I just thought it was a bit... Yeah, well, they've probably got Vaseline on the lips. <laughs> they're very red. I was like, ooh, lovely. I wonder what shade that is. I was like trying to buy that. But yeah, it's very approachable. I thought despite the depth, it's still approachable. It's, you know, that's that's a that's a tricky line to sort of tread. And it does do that. I think you're right. It deserves more than 56%. It's not my favorite boxing sim on the system. That's still Barry McGuigan's. Um, I, th- just, I, think, I think I just prefer the way that that plays and the sort of the structure of that, I think I prepare. But I certainly did like this. Um, and it's certainly something, it gets that strategy action balance pretty good yeah it's a decent game this yeah i mean there's not much more i can say that you sort of add to what you said you know if you're going to give it a go give it a go but you know be prepared to sort of get into it it's not like you say it's not a super punch out you have to sort of come at this with a little bit more sort of thought and a little bit more like thinking behind it because it's otherwise you just you you probably if you go and expect one thing you get you're not going to get that so no uh, i think you're right i think if you you'd be happy if you had barry mcguigan's and this You've got two games around boxing that are both very accomplished in their own way. Mm. Um, it's just nice to see a different perspective on boxing. I had a little look at the boxing sort of game history because I don't know a lot about boxing games. I'm sort of leaning into more your experience of them post Amiga, really, and I didn't really play a lot then because I wanted to see if this view became kind of a more of a normal view for boxing games, and it actually didn't. No, it, it didn't. It sort of fell more into the punch-out, then the side scroll, and then 3D kind of took over from what I saw. But 
Is there any boxing games that you remember that sort of stand out for having sort of a viewer like that or anything like that? No, I mean, first-person combat never seemed to sort of take off. The, there's, there's, there's a few sort of first-person games that do it. Things like Riddick. There was, uh, what's it called? Breakout, I think it was, on the old X, on the original Xbox. Uh, sort of Namco one, which was kind of a bit weird. I think it was Breakout. Uh, this, so it's not really um, what's it, and things like I can't remember, but but no, fighting games went down a certain route, and they, they there was things like Fight Night, the EA Fight Night yeah, series, yeah. which kind of then uh, there was Rocky. I think there was Rocky. There was a couple of games based on Rocky on the old Xbox, PS2, GameCube. They were pretty good, but they were just it moved into that 3D, you know, ring yeah, based type virtual fighter, that yes. 3D round the player view. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but no, not much of this. Like I said, the, the first-person combat was seen in a few first-person shooter games, um, but not much. I don't think I'd seen anything that did it similarly to this. No, no, not that, not off top. Have of you my seen, head. by the way, if you've seen the more the more recent recent boxing games, like the, like the, the brand new ones? Yeah, because I was looking at one when I was look when I was doing a little bit of research for this. I was just sort of as you do, you end up sort of you know scooting around, um, and I came across a game called Undisputed, and I thought the realism in it was absolutely crazy. Yeah. I mean, crazy, crazy. I was like, wow, that is like, wow. Modern sports sports games are are, are ridiculously good because, you know, the the power of PCs and new systems to render people now is, and when that's all they've got to do, you know, they look pretty. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. They look pretty good. It's like modern driving games. You know, you just look at, you look like, oh, I'm just looking at a car. Just, just, I was watching Tyson Fury, I think, versus somebody uh, on it and it and it, you know if you looked at the small screen you wouldn't necessarily immediately put that as a game it was yeah. incredible so just I just it was a nice footnote they come come such a long way when i was looking i'm like what yeah but just mostly i had to start somewhere didn't it so. yeah 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 there we go tko and that's it that's uh how many get to is that just four? Oh god four so far four, four so, so far. far all right well we're gonna go away take a quick break and we're gonna come back and then we're gonna look at tv was going on a UK TV in uh, March 1989. I'm sure it's a lot, but um, yeah, we've got to do it because it's what we said we've got to do. So uh, we'll be back in a minute. And we are back. Let's get into TV for March 1989. Uh, 2nd of March, um, My Brother David, uh, which is an edition of the BBC Two school series Scene, is first broadcast in which Simon Scarborough talks about the life of his brother David Scarborough, who originally played the EastEnders character Mark Fowler and who fell to his death from Beachy Head in 1988. The programme is repeated again on 19th June for a general audience as part of BBC Two's Death 2 Strand. I watched, Obviously, you linked to this, so I did watch all, all this. Mm. This is incredibly sad. I mean, yeah, isn't it, it just... It, this kid just, you know, got a break to be Mark Fowler in EastEnders. And if you mm. obviously people are watching it and, you know, he kind of drifted out of the show, coming back and stuff like that. But then the the, the, the story, which is then told through this documentary by his brother and his, his mum and dad, mm. essentially, and, you know, sort of his girlfriend at the time, um, just sort of talking about him. It's like how he was then hounded, hounded, yep. literally hounded to his death by the, yes, by the uh, by gutter press. Yep. It's, it's. If ever you need a reason, there's not many. We've probably all got them to hate the gutter press and just despise them. Watching this is a. It was just like, geez. I mean, they just made them just made stories up about him. Yep. You know, threatened him. Said if we don't have an interview, we're just going to make something up. Yep. And plaster it all over the. You know, calling him names in the stories and stuff like that. And it's just a. It's just a twenty-year-old guy with the weight of the British press. How, I mean, they're pestering his mates at the end of his street. They're pestering the owner of the local pub, the people who own the local shops. He's just from a small yeah. village, the guy was. Awful, awful this was. The story that they he, he tricks himself into rehab at one point to try and get better, doesn't tell anyone, checks himself in there. They find out he's there, they bring up, and then they're like, yeah, then that, that's it. He has to leave rehab and, you know. Yeah. It, horrible, horrible story. 
Yeah, Horrible. I mean, they, pre- they pretended to be from a teen magazine to talk to him about a pop group that he was, they made up that he was meant to be part of that yeah. not, wasn't even mentioned it. And then basically were like, so what's been wrong with you then? What's wrong with you? Are you okay now? What's wrong with you? And they're just, you know, we wouldn't leave him alone. It's, it's such a saddened story. And it's made, it's all the more poignant now because it's, they have not learned. I mean, the news of the world, which was the, the reporters were from that particular, that paper no longer exists. It's gone. Thank God. Yeah. Um, but long, you know, long. we still have variations of the theme. Well, it's news, news group, isn't it? It's the sun's still part of it. Sun on Sunday. And they don't and have not learned the lesson from that. And it just, because it's repeated, it's repeated itself with so many other people have come under the fire and there's been other suicides and all sorts of problems and it just doesn't stop. They vilify people. They have absolutely no care for the pain and havoc they cause for those poor individuals. And in the end, the outcomes for them is never nice. It's never good. It ends, and in this particular sad case, you know, you end up with his brother doing a really poignant documentary, a mini documentary about him because clearly the, he's missed. He's a family member who's missed. You know, yeah. they, just, they linked this character in EastEnders with his actual personality for no reason whatsoever and even mirrored some of the stories from the soap opera and sort of mapped them to his own life, which was not, they weren't even the same thing. He's it's, an actor, just playing a part. an actor, but, but they, you know, they, were, they set out to ruin yeah. his life and they weren't going to stop until they did. And that's exactly that. And as soon as they smelt blood, well, that made all more more juicy headlines. So in they went. You know? And later down the line, we have the same thing happening with people like Caroline Flack. Where Caroline poor, Flack, poor, yeah, that was the one I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah where the poor woman ended up you know, in, a, in a very similar situation that and the outcome, tragic. So they don't yeah. learn. They do not learn. You know, do yourself a favour and follow the Liverpool's fine example with these gutter press. Keep them out of your life. Because yeah, well, yeah, absolutely, do. with the Hillsborough disaster and things, like, and what the sun absolutely. did there. I mean, I, I yeah. have no. It pains me to th- to think that as a, as a child, my mum used to get it, and I'd read it. I didn't really know any better at the time, but looking back, it's like, oh, you just just awful, awful, awful things, awful people doing absolutely. awful things. To I mean, you could see there's that sh- there's that clip in the documentary where of his like his last scene in EastEnders, the Christmas yeah. sort of thing, when he comes back, and he's just you can tell he's just not right. Even yeah. he's like, and it's just awful. No, it's not right. Not right. No, so sad. It's very sad. Uh, same date, 2nd of March, after much publicity, a two-minute advert for Pepsi featuring Madonna's latest single, Like a Prayer, is shown during a commercial break on ITV, 12 minutes into The Bill. For all the programs to put it on, <laughs> The Bill. Um, I actually sat, I found it on, obviously, YouTube being the resource yeah. of it is. I found it on there, watched it. We, we look at it back now and you think, what's the what's the controversy really but yeah i mean i mean don't get me wrong the actual full video for the song i can see why people might have you know the burning crosses and stuff. Yeah. you know this this there is some pretty inflammatory religious imagery in there that might upset certain facets of religion i don't i get that totally but at the same time i don't know it's just a song isn't it you know it's a big debate really not what i'm gonna have but and the, the I, quite, was, I quite like the song like get when you know on what was it on second of march get to a tv no matter where you are <laughs> yeah this, the advert was stupid make a well. wish make just, a wish you know and it was a short-lived thing wasn't it because about a month or two later they pulled it anyway so yeah yeah a lot of a lot of hoo-ha about nothing really a lot of who are about nothing. 10th of March, on the 2nd of Red Nose Day, BBC One airs the eight-hour telethon, A Night of Comic Relief 2. Yeah, I found some clips of that on YouTube. And you can tell the format wasn't quite worked out at that point. <laughs> no, it's a bit random, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of Lenny Henry and Griff Rhys Jones and A and other sat behind a desk sort of just introducing stuff. It's They hadn't quite figured out how they'd build on yeah. it. It's the one with Lyle and Eenie Nunu in it, though, and all of that. And... That clip of uh, Dave Allen at the beginning, was that actually in it? Yeah, that was in it. Yeah, that was it. That's what I mean. It's like almost random stuff. Yeah. Just um, BBC always had a really strange affinity with Dave Allen. I don't know if it was contractual. But <laughs> it was you know, one of his lines that did make me laugh quite a lot, though. 
Which was? <laughs> it was the fourth one. It was his observation about stupid signs. <laughs> I can't remember what it was. Um, go and watch it. We'll put the YouTube clip in the notes. I think it might be the one about the, the car. It says, if you can't see this sign, don't park here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, classic Dave Allen. And that's, again, a, a bit of a, a lost lost person in time is Dave Allen. His stand-up's a lot on YouTube. But go and check that out too. If, if you're of a disposition of being offended by things you might want to avoid it you know yeah, that's just, if you go very to, much so it's not the gentler side of the comedic spectrum should we say but the eight hour telethon i think all eight hours of that is actually on youtube wouldn't surprise me it's 10 hours of gandalf laughing <laughs> there is yeah <laughs> so it's bound to be 15th of march bbc one is john's not mad an edition of the qed documentary strand that shadowed john davidson a 15 year old from gala shields in scotland with severe tourette syndrome the film explores john's life in terms of his family and the close-knit community around him and how they all cope with a misunderstood condition. This is another one of those shows that was talked about a lot at school oh, the following day. Oh my gosh, wasn't it just, I mean, talk about making a guy the household name for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. And I get why the shows, I watched it, because you, again, YouTube being the resource that it is, it's all there, so we'll yeah, put a link to it in the show it. notes. You can go and watch the actual documentary that was the QED episode. And it isn't done for kicks or anything like that. QED never was, was it? No, but this is meme. If this was now, this would be a meme across every social yeah. media channel you can think of in seconds and there has been even follow-ups to this where they did they've done obviously shows not necessarily like that one but shows of where there's been people with Tourette's on and people have made YouTube clips out of that you can't I don't I don't know I don't I stand on the this is a, such a good thing for the BBC to be doing to try and demystify and it's actually when you watch it it's the people's reactions that are unbelievable nowadays if someone shouts in a split you down the street nobody bats an eyelid but back True. then, there's all these old people in the super going, oh, she's terribly offended. Oh, who is this? You're like, it just doesn't happen anymore. I've seen five-year-olds, you know, running down the street with throwing knives. This is just, <laughs> we, we live in a different time. And I think we're actually now so far down the road of being tolerant of all the, everything like this. It doesn't, nobody phased by it because it's so commonplace on t- things like TV now. And maybe not Tourette's as much, but it's been over time. I think it, the whole thing's been, thankfully, been the idea of this one show exposing this one thing and everyone going, talking about it in the playground it wouldn't i don't think anyone would bat an eyelid now it'd just be maybe a few one-liners for shits and giggles and stuff like that probably completely inappropriately but it has been at least it's taken off the kind of super offensive pedestal that these poor people are on who've got a problem an illness mm. and and it's taken it out of that realm and just put it into the more normalized you know tv patter but what a crazy thing to put on it seems strange wouldn't it? Yeah. would have been my first exposure to tourette's when i watched that and i remember watching oh, absolutely it. yeah yeah, I remember watching it as well. And I remember all the swear words and I remember, you know, I was allowed to watch it because it was, you know, educational. I pitched it. Yeah, QED always was. <laughs> uh, 31st of March, the last Oracle on view transmission takes place on Channel 4. It did. I remember watching it fade away to its dot. Did you watch it? I don't think I did, no. I don't think yes. I remember that happening. I remember it. So it started off as a full white page and it slowly went sort of circled <laughs> around in like a maze round to the middle where it was a little dot and it just said Oracle gone. That's um, did uh, Gary Lanneker write that? <laughs> Oracle gone. <laughs> um, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but Oracle stands for Optional Reception of Announcements by Coded Line Electronics. Does it? Yep. God. Just in case you wondered. <laughs> did they come up with the name first and they go, what does that mean? Yeah, of course they did. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like no DNA in the scorch cadaver to me. Exactly. I was going to say it's exactly that. <laughs> Uh, new uh, new shows. First of March, Shadow of the Noose. God, so deadly serious that very serious <laughs> show. There was some very poignant oh. looking out of a window in those opening credits. Yeah, very serious music. It's about a very famous barrister, isn't it? I forget the name of the person, but there's quite a famous uh, author, yeah. and it was a big deal at the time on BBC. I've 
absolutely completely bypassed me in 1989. I wouldn't have been passing the time of day with me, but no. that's the sort of thing my mum and dad probably watched, I think. Yeah, probably. And we're very, very serious about, very, ooh, yes. Yeah. 6th of March, winners and losers. The mystery that is winners <laughs> and losers. Three-part ITV miniseries starring Leslie Grantham. They obviously paid him a lot of money to poach him from EastEnders. Yeah. The strange thing is, it's almost impossible to find anything out about this. It looks like yeah. there was a single released by Leslie Grantham. Well, there was a there was a there was a there was a piece of music <laughs> that I listened well, to. Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a song, and it's mentioned on a couple of resources, but there's no plot, there's no storyline, there's a list of actors and a cast, there's nothing else. And there's also a TV show that came out in 2011 called Winners and Losers, which doesn't help. I, yeah. I could not find out. I, I even went to the schedules to try and find if there was a description any of the old TV radio times and the TV time schedules. Nothing. It's like it's been erased from time. Nothing. It's gone. Gone. No idea what it's about, other than the fact that it had Leslie Grantham in it, and it was a three-part thing, miniseries. That's it. That's all I know. Who knows? Same with this. 9th of March, A Touch of Spice. Six episodes yeah. of a comedy about two young women, best friends who share a flat and establish their own catering business. Yeah, something tells me there's a reason it's six episodes because it wasn't yeah. very funny. It never went anywhere. Thirteenth no. of March, the labours of Erica. That's um, Brenda Blethyn in that, isn't it? It is Brenda Blethyn, yeah. And as soon yeah. as I read the pre, as soon as I read what this is, I went, I bet Brenda Blethyn's in that. <laughs> that you know, I knew it. I did the same. I thought that's got to be that's a that's a Brenda Blethyn thing if ever I read <laughs> Absolutely. it. Absolutely, and it is. Businesswoman yeah. Erica Parsons find a list she had made as a young girl of everything she wanted to do before turning eighteen. Realizing she's never done any of them, she resolves to achieve all her aims before her fortieth birthday instead. Series premiered on ITV and that came at eight pm on Monday, thirteenth of March, nineteen eighty nine. Ran for two series until 9th of April, nineteen ninety. When she did everything, <laughs> don't know. Again, completely bypassed me. That was one my mum and dad probably watched as well. Yeah, probably. I mean, it reminded me. I mean, it's essentially it's that um, Morgan Freeman, Jack Nicholson and filming it bucket list or whatever oh it is actually yeah maybe that's the, it's the a bucket list from. it's a bucket list show of course she became quite the oscar winning actress didn't she so brenda, brenda blethyn did she mm, she did yeah good nice. however also on the 13th of march was keynotes oh this it's just... <laughs> this was funny keynotes a british game show that aired on itv from 30th of march to 18th of december 92 hosted <laughs> by alistair duval Never heard of him. The aim of the game was for two teams of players to try to put the right words in the right songs and see how well they can follow the bouncing ball to solve our puzzle song, which he can't say in the intro. (laughs) Guess it wrong. (laughs) You're watching Keynote. Notes, notes, notes of the key. Keynote. So stupid. (laughs) It's the way he runs on like an aeroplane. Just the aeroplane running on and then he's got this really weird, he's got this really weird eyebrow hair thing going on. (laughs) It's hard to explain. It's got his mouth is perfectly circular with his with his teeth. It looks like someone drew him. It's like it's how badly. someone would draw him. Badly drawn version of him. And that's that's what he looks like for real. He's a meatball with eyebrows. And the contestants are both it's like they're almost like the bullseye quality contestants in this. Brilliant. And Why the intro is they're caught with because well the intros, but they're also it's the way they're all dead excited for are the most boring things imaginable. Yeah. I'll put a sound clip in right about now for the one guy who's just like hi I'm Derek and I'm a gardener and I like gardening and that uh, you, need like- put, what's it? you need to put Stuart in here I put a picture of there I, I, you need to go look at this because he's only 23 <laughs> People did if look old in the 80s, age, didn't they? Like, well, maybe in his late 30s, mid 30s, 23. But Stuart, and he goes, I'm Stuart, whatever his name is, Dumfrew or something, and I want to find the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> like, God. Why are you on keynotes? <laughs> he should be up in, up in Scotland. It's that, honestly, that host. Ugh. And I, I, I watched it because I thought, well, maybe the, the, the quiz is actually all right. It's not. It's terrible. And mm. I, you know how, you know me, I love me a good game show, not this. No. <laughs> Dreadful. Funny though, but dreadful. <laughs> and it run for four years and no one noticed. I don't think no one noticed. Stingers, let's play keynotes. It's like, <laughs> no, 
No, let's not. <laughs> let's not. Nobody's, everyone's that excited for no reason. It's like fake excitement. I'll put, yeah. I'll put a clip in. You make your, uh, the audio quality <laughs> will be bad because the audio quality on the YouTube video is bad, but yeah. you make your mind up about it yourself. Oh, this is bad. It's not as bad as what's next though. 15th of March was Emu TV. Oi, oi, oi. <laughs> Oh no! God save us now. You can have this one. Well, I, I, I mean, right? We booted them out. We got rid of them. Ooh. Because Emu and Rod, Rod Hall, and we got, Emu. we actually, we got booted off TV because they were crap and everyone hated them. Nobody yeah. liked them. Nobody. Nobody. They were loathe. No. Universally loathe. So much so that the TV show got cancelled. They got packed off to Canada. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> Don't Enjoy come time back. in Canada. Don't come back. And they, so what did they do? They made a bloody TV show there. And then Central, ITV Central, bought that TV show and re-showed it. Are you mental? <laughs> so following the demise of Emu's world, they got packed off to Canada and recorded a single series of Emu TV or EMU TV, which was based on a similar idea that they'd had in the UK, which we hated, which was Emu's broadcasting company. It was all rubbish. Yep. Same people in it. It's got grot bags and... Crichton the robot and that croc and all the stupid shit they put in it. That gold robot, was that in it? Gold robot, that's Crichton. It's called Crichton, I think, in this one as well. Um, they obviously had guest appearances in it as well. The kids that were in it, they were called the Pink Windmill kids in the Pink Windmill, but they were called Take 10 in Canada. So, you know, and they came back. You can't dress this up as anything other than what it is. It's horror. It's horror TV. I never liked Rod Hull and Emu. Never, ever, no. ever. There's nothing funny about a violent hand puppet. Nothing. So he was nice. This guy's dangerous. And essentially because Rod Hull, who was obviously, you know, putting his arm hand up this giant emu, you know, thing, he made a career really out of strangling people and physically assaulting people and making that funny because he had a, a beak on his hand with fake eyes. F*** you, Rod Hull, <laughs> you violent, dangerous guy. I mean, he sadly passed away by falling off his roof. Um, yeah. But that's, that's that's another story altogether. It's a bad thing, this. It it's really bad. Is. And the actual show to watch, we'll put an episode in the in the show notes. It's horrible to even watch. It's it's painfully horrible to watch. It's so naff. It's so it's crap. not funny in any way, shape, or form. No, it's, it's not terribly acted. It's bad. <sighs> yeah. No. <laughs> TV. no. No. Same day, fifteenth of March. You could have watched Children's Ward. <laughs> you could have. <laughs> it's had me laughing my head off. <laughs> I thought <Absolutely>. it would. <laughs> so, as you've noted. It, essentially, it's causality for kids. It um, is. Is, 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 is. The of NHS hospital and staff in the late 80s and how they are now. Yeah, nurses, nurses are all women. Doctors are all men. Yeah, okay. But it's as you've noted, it starts off with a, a girl in her bedroom listening to Iron Maiden. Can I play with it madness? Does. Which is weird. Um, it is odd. It's also odd that she's listening to something like Iron Maiden, but has pictures of Bross and Neenek on the wall. I <laughs> know, I thought that. It's like the set dresser should be sacked. It's like... <laughs> Put the right or the or the person who picked the tune. No maiden fan has ever been listening to uh, <laughs> no. switch that off and listen to wet wet wet. As far as I'm aware, <laughs> no. But so this girl, she then she runs out. I think she's late for school or something. She runs out and she gets knocked over. Obviously, that's not good. That's but not the sequence good, no. where she gets knocked over, and I'm very sorry, is unintentionally hilarious. <laughs> it is hilarious. <laughs> From the still shot of the wheel, <laughs> it's just like a shot of him, just a close-up of the steering wheel, and then he, he, sort of goes, <laughs> he sort of jumps on the brakes. It's not moving. It's clearly not moving. Clearly not moving. <laughs> then there's the rubbish dummy that gets hit. The dummy that gets hit of the girl is so... Oh, dear. Uh, it's just ridiculous. But then... <laughs> <laughs> there's this shot from inside the car which is pinned against the window <laughs> and I was absolutely howling I've posted a picture here I grabbed that shot <laughs> who thought that was a good idea the director goes we'll get a shot from inside and she's just looking through the window a bit shocked we've just seen this dummy get crunched it's the, it's the way her hair is like up on the window it's like why would it do that oh dear um, 
I laughed myself silly this afternoon watching this. I watched yeah, it about ten times. It's not great, and there's loads of episodes of Children's World. It was, I know there was. Ages, you know, it was I'm going to have to sort of see if there's other... 11 years it was running, Children's World as a show. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Just go watch that. <laughs> just start watch first one, series one, episode one. You only have to watch the first five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Tells you, you all, your it's going. all you'll ever need. <laughs> exactly. And you'll see all sorts of, you know, things that don't happen now. Consultants with ties. No, they don't wear them. <laughs> Look at that, he's wearing a belt. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's considered a, an infection risk now to wear a yeah. tie in a hospital, you know. When you're dangling your necktie onto your patient's open wound, going, oh, you seem to be gurgling a little bit there. <laughs> oh, sorry, my tie's dipped into your neck hole. We'll remove that. And nurse, you might need to put another plaster on that. I'm clearly not a consultant, by the way, although I've clearly just demonstrated all the qualities I need. You could be. I was I was quite convinced. <laughs> yes, well, let me, let's not go into surgery because it ain't going to end well. <laughs> got me here a knife <laughs> it's mr it's mr greg with a leg for an arm and an, an arm, arm, and for, an arm a for a leg <laughs> yes go and watch causality for children if you like that kind of thing if you never, like that never did like accident watch really just watching accidents in it not nice no uh 16th of march mike and angelo it's ran for 11 years as well don't know why this- it's the clip of the most extensive clip notes of any YouTube <laughs> yeah. clip ever. In fact, they yeah. ran into the comments because they went on for that long. I had to, uh, I had to set some time aside. <laughs> it's like oof. when I saw, him, I was like, "Ooh, I'm gonna." So when uh, you click on that little, you know, read more, you click on it, it's like, "Goodness me, wow, okay." <laughs> I, was like, I was like, "I'm a, I'm a buzzer to my partner." It's like, "Yeah, you cancel all my calls for this afternoon." <laughs> Is that on day three of shooting? I, I think it was a Thursday, and I, I think I wore my brown trousers. Oh, wait a minute, no, I didn't. Mavis had them in the wash that day, and I wore green trousers. No, wait, no, wait a minute. It, no, it was brown. It was the brown ones. <laughs> huh? What? It's rubbish. I don't know what the show was about. I gave up. I didn't even think about that. Well, the show is some kind of weird kids program, which starts off cheery enough about a, a divorced couple from America. And so she relocates to the UK, brings her son with her, who's dead unhappy because he's obviously had to leave his entire life behind in America and comes to live in the UK. And he finds a um, a strange man who can walk on the ceiling um, in, a, in a wardrobe in one of the rooms. There's nothing nice about that. That sounds, sounds like insidious. <laughs> it does. I know. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, this is a... I'm sure this yeah. This is although, a, you know, insidious is rubbish. So I'm just saying. Uh, yeah. I watched the new one of those recently. The most... That's rubbish. The Red Door. It's, it's rubbish. terrible. Rubbish. Don't, yeah. I don't, don't get me started on how rubbish that is. Yeah, this wasn't great. <sighs> Terrible. Um, finally, to round out the month, 21st of March was Bradley. Another mystery show. Never heard of it. No, lost into the archives. No, it was some kind of kids thing, I think. Kids, I don't know. It's very six, hard to find information six about. Six weeks or something. God yep. only knows. Uh, that's it. Highlight of the week has got to be the car crash. Or the... <laughs> it's not obviously you can say the highlight of the kid getting run over. but It is a drama show. It is a drama it wasn't, show. She was a dummy. Clearly, you have to see the dummy and then they shot her inside the car. It's, it's incredible. Um, <laughs> children's Ward. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We've still got five games to get through. Five whole games. Five whole games. So we'll be back in a moment to get into them. So see you in a bit. All right, we're back. Five games still to come. And the first of those is yours, Graham. Um, this is Steel. Steel, Steel. Sapphire and Steel, but without the Sapphire. 299s. I like yeah. it. A good old three quidder. Um, 82% as well. Ooh. Ooh. Hey, hey, have you seen it? Um, so this is Steel, brought to you by um, our friends at uh, Racket. So another, you know, Hewson. Racket are doing quite well, aren't they, at the minute with these budget games? Mm. Um, this is developed by Imperial Software Design. That's uh, the software wing of the Empire, unusual. Um, but it's good that they branched out from, you know, destroying 
planets and taking over stuff. <laughs> the coder was Gary Biasillo and the musician was Gary Biasillo. He did everything here, apart from the title screen, I think, and he probably did that as well. So oh, what's Steel about? Gary Biasillo, is it? No, that's okay. Yeah, because he did that quite good tutor that was, we liked for its visuals and stuff. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I'll give you a little rundown of the, the, the blurb, as it were. The deep space ship Steel went missing several decades ago. Recently discovered, apparently undamaged by a remote probe, it must be recovered. This all does sound rather like the plot of the film The Black Hole, where you've got a giant spaceship that needs to be recovered, full of robots and stuff like that. So I think maybe that Gary Bicilla recently watched The Black Hole. But you know what? If there's going to be inspiration, it may as well come from the dark depths of the universe. Your task as a sentient Type 7 exploration and recovery droid is to board the ship and deactivate the defense system for safe boarding by the follow-up crew. The objective then to collect all eight cartridges around the complex and to activate the cartridge slots by deactivating the eight terminals, allowing the cartridges to be inserted into the cartridge slots and that will switch all the things off. The eight cartridge slots are all located in one room somewhere in the complex and when your droid is near the cartridge room, you're warned by the proximity alert. So in other words, you've got to fly around this structure, find the little cartridge things, and then go to a cartridge room and place them in there. All the while, you are being thwarted along this path by droids who have various different sort of push-shove-shoot kind of mentalities and will not necessarily take kindly to your presence there. Some of them aren't necessarily going to kill you, but they will kind of shove and buzz you around. And there's also a sub-game which I'll come to in a moment as well. Along the walls, there's also terminals, which you must utilize to reassemble. You must reassemble the computer terminals and you can get information from them. You can also find refuel points as well because that is a resource in this game. Okay, that gives you the sort of basic rundown of what you've got to do. So find the cartridges. Okay, we've all been there. We've all played that. We've all played Mm. the game, that game. (laughs) Now, Gary Bias, this, you know, Gary Biasel, he's a clever Clever, clever guy, I think. Mm. This is a really nice looking game from Racket. And they, like I said, they seem to be the kings of budget at the minute. Um, it clearly stars Vincent from the film The Black Hole. Yes, um, yes, it does. Yes. Which is uh, stands for Vital Information Necessary Centralized, in case you wonder what Vincent was. <laughs> of course it does. So, you know, of course it does. <laughs> no DNA in his scotch could have <laughs> no, um, The game starts with a nice loading screen. And then you're into the title screen of the game and the logo, some indications of score and press five to start the game. It's all nice, simple colors good title screen and add kind of a Depeche Mode music as well about it which I think was good it's got a nice vibe to it all mm-hmm. all looks the part the loading screen is really good really well drawn a sort of robot version with the steel logo on it really nicely shaded droid looks looks quite cool impressive mm-hmm. so the game begins um, once you press start and you're off there's only that option on the start screen start the game and you're off you control it off with the joystick in joyport 2 the screen consists of your score at the top the level graphics and play area uh, under that and probably about two thirds which is about two thirds of the screen below that is a UI with the number of cartridges you hold or can hold which is three any given time your current energy level, um, your fuel, and any signals remaining to find the cartridges. The styling and use of colour is genuinely clever here. It's really good. It's busy on the eye, though, so mm. it can get a bit, you know, it's quite a lot on Tefiri to take in with all the different colours and bands of colour and stuff like that and sort of bumps and lumps of the background design. Um, but there's reds and greens and purples and lots of nice pixel shading, and your main sprite is very good as well. So obviously a massive nod to Vincent from the Black Hole, but it looks really nicely crafted in this kind of nice high-res, medium-res overlay that we've seen used to great effect in a few games now. So it's obviously a very good way of doing that kind of sprite effect in the C64. It looks really nice. It's a nicely mm-hmm. defined little sprite with the right way to shade a sprite like that. That's a good strength of Gary Biasello. He's got a real good eye for that. And it's reminiscent of his other racket game, which was Slayer. So yeah. 
Rise of the Slayer. It's very similar sort of style to that. Mm -hmm. You can get a bit lost in the visual depth of color and pixels, uh, and as can the enemy robots that will float around and bash and sort of bop at you and shoot you. They do respawn as soon as you shoot them, which is a bit of a bind. And you can also bump you, and that costs you energy, which is a kind of annoying thing. That's one of the annoying things about this game is you get bumped and shoved more than shot at, which is, yeah, it's sort of, it's, it just hampers progression through things and just makes the game annoying, not difficult. Or, you know, just, just, just shoot things. You should just be able to shoot them. That would make, simple, make it simpler. You can try everything with the joystick left and right to move your VIN robot through the flick screens of the game and all the, amongst the levels. Amongst these are the doorways you can go through by either pushing up or down. It's the kind of standard way for controlling these kind of things. And again, like I say, there's also terminals that you can use. When you get to these, you'll encounter the sub-game. The sub-game is a bit of an odd thing. Um, so when you enter it, you push the joystick to activate the terminal. And then once you're in there, the terminal, is, the idea is you've got like a data bus on the right-hand side and it's kind of protected protected by a sort of revolving shield up and down. Mm -hmm. And as you shoot at that, it will break apart the shield in front of the data bus, but those little parts sort of break off and fly back at you and can damage you. Now, they obviously, the more you shoot at it, the more it's going to come back at you. And they kind of come back at you quite heavily, so it's actually quite hard to avoid them. And every time you get hit, you get a hit count, and eventually, if you get hit too many times, you're not going to complete the sub-game. Now, it is quite hard to do that, because part of the, doing those sub-games means you've got to release the... Um, locks on some of the cartridge slots to be able to get them out of there and do all those sort of things. So you've got to be able to master this sub-game thing. I don't know, for me, I don't know if I felt like it was something that was masterable. It felt a little bit on the random side where the bullets come back at you for you to be able to really avoid them properly. I think you either had too much speed and you couldn't navigate between the bullets or the gaps where the bullets fired across back at you weren't big enough for you to be able to navigate through them effectively. So you mm -hmm. got hit more often than not. And there's, I suppose there's ways you can mitigate that by shooting maybe towards the bottom and then go to the top and shoot them on. And maybe that's, you know, maybe there's a, a method or madness to it. But either way, the idea of the sub game is that you, once you've hit the item on the right hand side, there's sort of the, uh, not the drivers, which is the thing in front, but once you hit the sort of sub par thing, sub power thing, um, that will allow the cartridges to be released and then you can pick them up and obviously get three at a time. The idea then is to navigate around, find the room where the cartridge to go, put them in, then go back and find the other five. And so it goes on. So this is definitely one for the mappers, I think, safe to say. If, you, you know, if you're into your mapping, you're going to like this. It's another mapper's delight. I think you'd have to because the levels are pretty and the graphics are nice, but they're very samey. And there's not a you know, door on the left, door slightly less to the left, door in the middle, door slightly to the right, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Are you going to remember those? You know, you're not. You're going to get lost in this game within about two seconds. So you need to map it out. Okay, fair enough. But there is a nice sort of shoot 'em up vibe, but is it more of a bump 'em up than a shoot 'em up? I don't know. I, or an annoy 'em up? Yeah, I think that's the big problem with it. The graphics are great and the sound and music all work really well, but the enemies come really quickly and they're very come very tiresome really quickly because they just bump you around all the time and you're like, just I just want to get there. And it feels like they're just always pushing you back from somewhere and you, it just the game shouldn't be that. The game should be, you know, you blasting your way through this ship to try and and cybernoid style blasting through it could have they could have mixed a bit of bit more of cybernoid in it and a bit less of the cybernoid's weird you know you've got to collect all the things and if you haven't got enough at the end you don't make it so mm -hmm. maybe a bit more shooty logic a bit less bumping around bumper cars logic so i think that's a little bit of a mistake and it is also you know the sub game is actually quite hard as is the game the game is actually quite ridiculously hard at times so it doesn't take long before you're plowing your way through your energy and stuff like that and you can top it up and stuff but and also the signal detection system is a little bit on the vague side it just needs you know clear indication would have been easier than just sort of you know all oh, the signals mm -hmm. at strength whatever it's like i'm not i don't know if i'm near where i need to be i don't know and i can imagine once you found your way to the cartridge i never actually found the cartridge room i found three of the cartridges couldn't find the room for love and money and i was just lost and i thought i'm not mapping you 
nor could I be bothered to find one. But after all of that said, what we're talking about, something is three quid. The game is massively challenging, but the logic of the game is simple. If you can put up with being bumped and pushed and less shootery, more bumping, bumping around, the pixel work is tremendous here and the controls are responsive, albeit that it just feels a little bit like the game isn't quite there. It's just not quite where it needs to be. But that said, three pounds isn't a bad price for it, for that. And I quite liked it. Um, it's a reminder, though, even with its little problems and quirks, which it does have, okay, in the right hands, the C64 is capable of very nice graphics, really good music, really decent game-looking games in the right hands for three quid. It, it's, again, another one where that's happened. We had it with Zamzara and a few others as well. You mm-hmm. know, And I'm, I'm sad to think it's just down to sort of individual people's talents, you know. Um, Zamzaro is essentially one guy doing most of the code and most of the graphics. This is one guy doing the code and the graphics and the music. I think sometimes they set themselves a benchmark for where they're going to be making these games and they're just able to action that and they have the finishing touches. They have the finishing mentality to do it. Whereas Mm -hmm. sometimes when you get a few people together in a team, add the imperative of the wrong publishers pushing them and, you know, you've got six weeks to finish this game. They're not going to, you know, they're just not putting the heart and passion in it. As much as it's a bit of a colour mash, this game has a little bit of heart and passion in it. A little bit of Gary Biasillo is in this game and it shows in just some of the little fine details. Just a pity the design of the game hasn't quite worked as perhaps as good as it could have. But that said, it got 80%. That's probably about right. Actually, maybe a little bit high, but for three quid, it's a bargain really anyway. And I, I did enjoy what I played. I just found myself more gradually getting more frustrated and thinking, I don't know. I'm, I'm just in the mind thinking it's three quid. What about you? Yeah, I felt this game needed better instructions. Yeah, they were a bit vague. <laughs> vague. I read them and I try to keep. I kept, it's like I kept reading them, but my eyes just kept sliding off them. There was loads written, but nothing actually told you anything. And then, and also as well, if I missed it, because I looked at the ones you posted in the in our agenda, I couldn't see any. Like, what? What does what? How do I access anything? Am I missing yeah. that? Is there anything like joystick up, joystick down? Is it in there? Yeah, 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 yeah. It tells you in there. It tells you joystick up for the terminals. Yeah. All right. Yeah, but I couldn't. But then again, I think because of the slight busyness of the background stuff, it's. I just found myself beetling about and like, am I am I am I doing the right thing? Am, am I supposed to be shooting all these enemies? Am I moving about? You've got to be a little bit pixel accurate on those terminals. Yeah, not I'm, all the terminals are accessible by depressing up as well. So. And also as well, there's a terminal where you can lower your health. Yeah, you can lower your health or increase your health, but it comes at the cost of your total score. I, yeah, I, I just found myself just, I, I was just completely unaware of what to do. I beetled about the complex, shooting other robots, bouncing off them. I went through rooms, I picked up some those core rods, whatever. I powered up and I powered down at terminals. I just didn't have a clue what I was doing. And mm. I just, you know, I read the instructions, I read them again. And I was like, I, I know I've got to collect these things, but where do I take them? And what am I, where's these... I just got lost very quickly and meandered through it. And I think, as you said, these kind of games, I think what they need to have is a is a like what Batman did. Batman had the Batcave. So and I know it's a budget game, and obviously, but if you have that Batcave where you're safe and you can just get used to the interactions and how kind of things work. Yeah, piece things together a bit. This could have had a little bit at the beginning with no robots to bother you sort of thing, but showing you, right, here's one rod, go put it in. Here's the mini game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now go do it. It needs these games need that. And I think that's what these games yeah. like. If it's not simple, like his previous game Slayer. Well, that's just to shoot them up. You know how you know what you're supposed yeah. to do. It's left, left to right, yeah. shoot everything. This, there's, and I was like, are, are these robots supposed to be doing this to me? Mm. I, I don't know. Like you said, though, looks great. Really nice sprite work, backgrounds. They are really well drawn and they are really cool to look at and everything. For three quid, you know, the, the production quality is is high on this. The music's good. Controls are decent and it's fast and everything's there. But I just didn't have a clue, and I yeah. think that's that was yeah. a problem. So I lost, it lost me. But you know, perseverance maybe. But it's just. Just give me an easier in. Yeah, I think that's the problem with it. And I think you're hitting problems before you're hitting solutions in this game. And 
Yeah. It's never a good thing. You need to have solved a couple of things before you get into the, start getting too much difficulty thrown at you, or you're going to be like bouncing off it a little bit. Yeah, Less like I, like I was doing off all those robots all the time. Yeah, exactly, exactly yeah. that. There you go. There you go. That's steel. Looks great. I think 82% is, I don't know, production value stuff. Hard with budget games, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. It's only 10% off Lead Storm. So I'm like, like, come on. There you go. Let's move on. We've still got four games to get through. And our next one, well, are you a golf master? Well, I do have my moments. <laughs> well, with Golf Master, which is our game at the moment, it's £2.99. You can be, maybe, maybe. This is another one from Racket, another Racket game. This is three quid, and for that £3, you get all of one course to play with three of your Ooh. friends if you really don't like them. <laughs> um, this was created by Mikko Helliver. I think it's a Finnish guy. He says somewhere in Lemon, I think. And has a title screen by Stephen Robertson. That is, of Yay. course, sir, to you and I. This is a golf game. With with little information about what you're doing and very little skill needed. <laughs> True. <laughs> well, you know, we'll come to all that later. Because once the game has loaded and we have enjoyed the, the rather good title screen, we are instantly mm. treated to the music. Oh, Lord. <laughs> some kind of plinky-plonk nightmare jazz horror. There's no place in anything other than some kind of New Orleans card game, perhaps. That's all <laughs> I could think of. Not in a golf game. That, no. It, no. I, I, just nowhere. It, no, it's an oral abomination that set my teeth on edge. And it wouldn't be so mm. bad, but it says press run stop to turn off the music, but that's only in-game. It's like they're taunting you. <laughs> so it's got to be endured on the title screen. Oh, it's awful. It's dreadful, horrible. And it just it, then it stops and goes into a different tune, and it's... Uh, Not good. Uh, on that title screen, if you're putting up the music, you can choose the number of players from one to four, whether to play at novice, amateur, or professional level. Not that any of those actually matter. Whether to play a competition or practice and whether to play all 18 holes, holes 1 to 9, holes 10 to 18, or just a single hole in particular. If you choose competition, then once you start the game, you have to enter your name via a hypersport style star input thing, which seems really out of place in a game like this. <laughs> just like, oh, that's presentationally a bit good, but okay. And once done, you're into the game. And so this is a top-down affair seen from about three miles in the air. And we've seen this ages ago. We had multiple Nick Faldos all vying for our attention. Um, did. Uh, I thought this is very similar to, you know, what, what that was like about episode five on it or six. So the present hole you're on takes up just over sort of half of the bottom of the screen. And, you know, it's got all the trees and the roof and the fairway and the light you could ever want because, you know, you're seeing it from way up in the sky. But it's, you're not seeing it far enough because the hole may not fit on the screen. So the whole, the whole, that, the entirety of that hole won't fit on the screen. So you can mm -hmm. hold the space bar to scroll it along to see it all, to you know, see the, where the rest of it is, whether it bends or anything like that. You can also press, they said, run stop to turn off the music here uh, and do so because it's awful. And at the top of the screen, we have the controls because this is an icon-driven golf game with very, very little skill. So across the top, from the left, top left, we have our aiming crosshair. Next to that, we have which club you've chosen. And then under that, there's the power bar. Next to those are the icons to control things. And these are two arrows to cycle through the clubs, of which you've got 14 to choose from. So you've got, you need to go up and down. Then we've got two different arrows to move our aim around the aiming crosshair. So basically, you've got a little dot that moves around the edge. And that's the direction you're going to hit your shot in when you do choose to shoot it. Then we've got two further arrows to increase or decrease the power bar. Then we have a ball to take the shot. And then we have another arrow to change the hole. But that only works in practice mode. 
but it's still there in championship mode. So that annoyed me. But anyhow, <laughs> finally, we have some information about the hole we are on. We've got the number of the hole, the number of shots we've made on that particular hole, the total number of shots we've made across all, all the holes so far, the par for the present hole, and then the wind speed and direction. And that's all the information you get. So on novice, the wind speed makes no difference. You just don't matter. On amateur, the wind speed does affect the ball, but will not change once you hit it. And on pro, the wind speed can change when the ball is hit. And that's all the difference between the modes. There's nothing else. Because the controls in this are ridiculously, stupidly simple. You select your club, you aim your shot, you select the power, and then you press the ball. And then we get a, yeah. an anim- a little animation of the golfing golfer hitting it. Always perfectly. Always goes exactly where you want it to go. That's it. There's no hook, slice, or anything like that. It's just off it goes. You know, you just you just gave me mad headhunter by Frontsy Fortee vibes just then. <laughs> Strike the ball, hit the hole, da 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 da. Just reminded me of that. You know, then once you've hit it, we see the ball fly along, and the graphic at the bottom along the hole, the little white dot moves down the fairway, and you then take your next shot until we sink the ball in the hole, and it gives us a information. Well done, you par four, you hit it, whatever, and we move on to the next one, and that's it. That's it. There it is. Problems arise with the lack of information you have. So <laughs> there's no information on the length of the hole. No, there is so not. So you don't know how far you can, you know, you've got, you can look, but you don't know how big you're seeing it. Are you seeing it from space? You can see the whole thing. Is it a mile long? Is it about par three? You don't know. No information on how far you are away from the hole at any time. No information on how the power bar works and what distances the clubs can hit. It, it, this is all relevant information to play golf with. And, and not to have it seems quite the oversight. You're just guessing. It's just point in a direction. Well, how far is half a four wood? I don't know. Just hit it. Couple that with the lack of skill in the control, aim and select power. Watch the shot happen. It just makes this a really boring and dull golf game with utterly shit and out of place music. Just ridiculous. Leaderboard's been out since 1986 at this point. And if you want an over the course view of golf, play that Nick Faldo or was that other one that came out that looked a bit like Leaderboard but also had the overhead view. PGA, was it PGA Golf? Yeah, yeah. Which is, both of those are better than this. And even at three quid, nah, this isn't a great release. You know, I don't mind simplifying games to allow people to play them, but you need to offer something for those that want a challenge. And when the only challenge here is guesswork because you've got no information to go on it makes for very boring and frustrating and unenjoyable experiences now as far as i was concerned this is a proper bogey that's what i thought about this to use a golfing parlance to describe <laughs> it but 45 percent. i think that's too much i don't because there's, there's nothing to this yeah it's just, it's just a game of nothing what did you think yeah it's just balling hole isn't it all right you're going to be in the run stop key in about 30 seconds for that stupid music oh my gosh very simple take on a very, you know, simple golf game, very rudimentary, isn't it? Icons and shoot and go mentality, which gives it a simple approachability until you hit all the weird impasses or the, you know, all the question marks, like not knowing how far away you are from the hole, not knowing really how those clubs play out in that situation, which is, by the way, never the same thing twice. No, or when you're on the green, like how how hard do I need to hit the putter? What's the exactly. lie of the land or anything? And just, and just you know, yeah. Graphically, I suppose, for two ninety nine. The best you can say is it's not terrible, but the icon controls are stupid when you've got a joystick that can control directions of things. Make it control the direction of it then. Don't yeah. make me scroll an arrow to a place where I then have to control it by using a left and right button. That's just plain old dumb. The bigger holes not being visible completely is ridiculous. You know, you, it, you, they get away with it in leaderboard, sort of, because leaderboards gives you a map that you can bring up of the mm. hole. And also you get an idea of the distance, you know, and that's my big my big thing here really is this. These little bugs aside and everything else, this is, okay, you might think, well, it's two ninety nine, and maybe you can, you know, pass the time, maybe, I don't know. But leaderboard, probably out on budget by this point. In fact, I think it is. Yeah, bound to So be. why on earth would you pay 
two ninety nine for this when you could probably pay one on two ninety nine for leaderboard, which is way superior than anything else you're doing here by a mile. So I don't think there's any appeal to this. This can only be a game that would be bought by accident. Your auntie Margaret's bought it for you, thinking it was, you know, a golf game you like golf, don't you? Yeah, you got a golf game you like golf. It's a good <laughs> golf game. It's got uh... And you think, no, it's not a good golf game, that uh auntie. It's not. It's, it's not leaderboard, is it? And I did write the words leaderboard on that list, didn't I? It didn't say golf master. <laughs> you know, I know I wrote it. My writing's not, handwriting's not great, but that's different words altogether. And anyway, it's just, no, it's, what, what are you going to do with it? It's leaderboards out and it's a budget. This is just a silly thing on the shelf. No, no 2.99, 45%. I think it's a bit high. I'd have given yeah. it less than that. You know, you need to put people off buying it. And also in their review, just make a point of going, instead of going, well, leaderboards there, just say, go and buy leaderboard. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Why would you buy this when that's out there? Yeah, executive edition, world class. You just wouldn't, would you? I mean, I've never come across this before because leaderboard exists. Because when, when I saw leaderboard and played it, all my desire for any other golf game stopped at that moment, <laughs> which it would have done for anyone else. So when somebody said, well, we want to make a golf game for the C64, they must have all unanimously gone, why? There's leaderboard. <laughs> leaderboard yeah. exists. It's already been done, mate. Been done, but better. Oh, it's not done from this view. Yeah, they they, they haven't because it's crap. No. There's a reason for no. that. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. Just not good. Consign it to the you know, the bargain bin and move on. Yep, absolutely. Let's move on. And maybe our next one is <laughs> another uh, another high from the sky one. This is Jet Bike Simulator. Ugh. Why am I getting all these Oliver Twin design things? <laughs> I don't know. Why done? <laughs> um, so this is Codemasters. Weird price for Codemasters, though. Codemasters famous for their budget releases. This ain't budget price, though, is it? We spoke about it briefly in the last episode. Eight ninety nine for this. Mm. Even with its weird one for normal, two for expert. So it's one other one of those where it comes on. Because I think it comes with it comes with the easy game and the hard game and four extra tracks, I think, which you can load in independently. I think that's what it came with, I think. Yeah. whole bunch of stuff that you won't enjoy. It's got things that you could potentially like. The blurb says, jet skiing is an up-and-coming sport, fast, furious, and above all, fun. So why don't you call it jet ski simulator, then? Yeah, I was just thinking that. Why is it called jet bike? <laughs> don't know. It's not on a jet bike. You're on a jet ski. don't know. Yep. The Oliver Twins have incorporated jet skiing's best aspects with some stunningly sophisticated programming. This is from the Spectrum box, I'm guessing, because it was a Spectrum game turned C64 game, don't you know? It was. It's also got Trent Reznor on the front cover. <laughs> it's got, it's, <laughs> we said that anyway, it's Trent Reznor's jet bike simulator. It's not a jet bike, it's a jet ski. <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, once you've mastered the easy version, you can move up to the hard version or just load it in, which will challenge the abilities of even the best games players. It will challenge the patience. I'll grant you that. I'll necessarily say it was the abilities. Weave your way around islands and bridges, avoiding the deadly weed that will choke up your motor. <sighs> right, enough of that. That's enough. That's enough. So this is a, another one in a long line of simulating things game. This time... Jet skis, not bloody jet bikes. And jet bikes involved in this. So the game starts. It's got speech, Adrian. Loads of crackly speech. Oh, the crackly speech. I mean, I hate to say it, but it sounds like someone's had throat surgery, and it's not a good, not in a good way. Now, jet bike simulator. They never. They never. I noticed they never say the full word, do they? It's not jet bike simulator. Ha ha. Yeah, bike simulator. 
Because it sounds like the bean tin under pressure. So no, six tons of pressure. Terrible. Anyway, the game starts with that crackly speech and then a jolly old tune. Oh, so I'd say jolty, really, on the shrill side. Never a good thing. That's probably the type of the album that's from. Mm. Um, and then you can start, you know, start things by choosing from the options. Got one player game, two player game, new player one game, new player two. Load new courses, view high scores, view instructions, view credits, space to move, enter select. You've got the logo, jet bike simulator, jet ski at the top. Then you've got a picture of four jet skis in high-res mode. We've seen this kind of high-res turning of the screw before. And on the right, there's a bookmark. For reasons that there's just a bookmark. There's a bookmark. The bookmark never goes away. It's just the bookmarks. The Codemasters bookmarks. The jet ski bookmark. With the Oliver Twins on there. It's the bookmark. You get a free bookmark with this. There it is. It's never going to leave. It's always there. Always there, that. Just to remind you, in case you forgot. That's good. And his arm, by the way, his left arm... <laughs> He's got one over muscular arm and one really limpy, bendy spaghetti arm. Because that's Trent Reznor's, uh, um, you know, <laughs> mic stand spinning arm. <laughs> and I don't care which planet you're from, you never go out wearing any kind of green vest. Just don't do it. It's bad, isn't it? It ain't good. It ain't good at all. Anyway, so once you got past the bookmark screen, you're racing a jet ski, jet bike, from 20,000 feet above the earth. It's <laughs> always a good view from anything, isn't it? So at least you can see everything. Um, so how to judge distance on things. Speed and distance are the problems with these games when you view them microscopically. Because either these things are go jetting around the sea or the, the lake at about 9 million miles an hour. Because, I mean, they're going around that. They're covering some distance at crazy speed. You've got to remember that. So the elevated position, I suppose, gives you a full view of the course. And like Grand Prix Simulator and BMX Simulator to some extent, you have to navigate around the course, steering your floaty and difficult to control jet ski through the flags and around the course against your microscopic opponents. The bird's eye view is oddly high res here. I'm sensing legacy spectrum conversion with teeny tiny jet ski yeah. sprites that look like tiny little arrows. No bigger than the size of amoebas. <laughs> uh, on the right is an image of a jet skier. The, it's the bookmark, the Codemasters logo and some credits. Just the bookmark. It's the bookmark for no reason. The main top left square is the game. And below that, the UI time clock and all the info you'll ever need for all the players plus the qualifying times. You control your tiny little arrow with the usual fire to speed up, left and right will rotate you, much like all the other games I've mentioned in the simulator series. The controls are, not to put too fine a point in it, a pain in the ass, And you will not be able to fully control your arrow because it will skidoo all over the place. Now, it's not easy to control. Add that to the computer players, as usual in these games, being completely infallible. They never make a single mistake. They just jet around, make it look very easy, leaving you looking like a befuddled idiot. Mm -hmm. Not nice, that. It's also difficult to see which one you're controlling at times because they're all so bloody tiny. That you, and when you first start, you're like, is that me? Is that, I was squinting at the screen going, what, what are they? These little yellow dots dotted about. And is that a boat? And what am I doing? And why do they use character graphics? Why don't they use sprites? On a machine that's got sprites, use sprites. Just saying, use sprites. Damn you, use sprites. Stop converting Spectrum games and not using sprites. Just because they didn't do it on a Spectrum, because the Spectrum man got them, don't mean you don't have to do it on the C64 version. Use sprites, you stupid fools. What perfect game this is for sprites. Look how many players there are on the screen at any one time. Four. Yep. Four of you. How many sprites does the C64 got? Eight. Okay. I'm you don't even have to split them. <laughs> you wouldn't. You don't even have to do a multiplexer. In fact, you've had to try harder to do what they've done with this than you would with just a simple 
Sprite controller. Anyway, hi, how home? All this, you know, add this to this, the impossible to beat computers, difficult to see you controlling. And the collision around the scenery is just so unforgiving. It's unpleasant. It's angry, anger, anger inducing. It doesn't happen for the CPU players though. They can touch whatever the hell they like. You can't. You hint a, a hair's breadth <laughs> at any one of those bits of grass. All over the place you are. Shut up. Whoever you are, like you bloody, get a strep seal for goodness sake. <laughs> the graphics are just too small and difficult to enjoy and the sounds and music are dreary and annoying very very quickly no matter which level of expert or whatever you've done you won't load the extra levels in because they all look like this crappy there may be some fun for two players if you like to laugh at that but you're going to get annoyed by the horrible sounds you're not going to know what you're controlling you're going to skid around and crash you're always going to get beaten by the computer because you're never going to win against that make one mistake and you're done and on top of that it's expensive for what all of this is as well why are all the other simulator games cheaper why is this one the most expensive it's the crappiest out of the lot this is way crap in the bmx simulator yeah so i don't get why this one's the most expensive why is it why is this one expensive what is it doing that makes it more expensive are jet skis more expensive generally i suppose they are really but I mean, the games have to be. I don't get it. Just stick to a BMX simulator or a Grand Prix simulator if you want this kind of thing, if you're going to play this kind of thing. Avoid this jet ski-related crapola. I don't like it. Annoyed me. Expensive Codemasters rubbish. What about you? Yeah, nine quid. Nine quid for this. Nine. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Substandard BMX simulator several years down the line. It's nine quid. The graphics are poor. The jet bikes are like no jet bike I've ever seen because they're supposed to be jet skis. This actually was re released <laughs> as Jet Championship Jet Ski Simulator. Oh, for God's sake. Um, somewhere, uh, you know, somewhere down the line, they just, all they did was just change the title screen. Because nobody say jet, to understood say jet what a jet simulator. bike was. <laughs> yeah, nobody. <laughs> Stupid. Um, and it's got a new cover as well. But uh, oh, it's just rubbish. The sounds are dull. Uh, the speech is terrible. The cuss are naff. I don't understand this from any angle, especially one that's a hundred foot in the air. Um, yeah, and the I rest. Guess, I, I mean, I guess it works, and there's multiplayer, like I said. But that Grand Prix one with the little boxes was way better than this. Yes, it was. Yeah, that was yeah. way better, more fun, and yeah. just playing better and seven quid cheaper. Yeah, the racing toes. Yep, yeah, way better. Yeah. Rip-off simulator, more like this was. It is, yeah, it is. Dreadful. Like, how could yes. the chairs, like, they're going, oh, yeah, but it's got this on it. No, it's stupid, and there's, they don't, you're writing the instructions, jet skis. Yeah, and stop charging extra for difficulty, you robbers. Looking at it, you did get a free poster <laughs> and a sticker, because you did want one, wouldn't you? Yeah, and everyone's going to look at it and go, why does it say jet bike? Oh, it does say that. They're stupid fools. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Oliver! <laughs> It's a jet ski. Getting away on their jet bikes. That's a jet bike. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) rubbish. Yeah, no, this is just uh, pointless. Pointless spectrum conversion. Uh, It just looks like a spectrum game. Feels like a spectrum game. No, no, don't like this at all. Let's move. Let us move along and navigate our way out of the horrible collision of the courses, which obviously I didn't want to mention as well, but it's dreadful. (sighs) Anyway, here we go. Let's move on to our next one. We've still got got two left. Two left. Two left. Two left. Let's move to the next one. And it's another budget title. Well, I say another budget title. It's a budget title. This is Master Blaster. Yep. (laughs) Two men enter, one man leave. (laughs) I'd left this game. What is this? What? What is this? Why? Why are we suddenly in the 
This is like the first wave of, of retro remakes right now. Yep. Because we seem to be playing a number of variants of classic arcade games at the moment. Things like that Blip, Better Dead Than Alien, whatever it was. And Yeah, that's right. Th- yeah. There was another one as well, I think. There was like maybe Gapless, but Gapless is a bit different. But it's just, where are all these coming from? Why? I Why are people know. suddenly looking back to the 70s going, people need that? No, we yeah, don't. that's what they need. Oh, dear. So this is Master Blaster. Oh, to give it its more honest name, Asteroids. <laughs> yes. Yeah, let's just not beat it around the but it's asteroids. Masteroids. Yeah, yeah, nasty roids. Ew. Ew. The, the, they've tacked a story on, and the story they've tacked onto this is that is stupid. Um, really? Get this. You are the pilot of a Federation clearance ship, an FCS, and it's your job to keep the spaceways clear between Pluto and Mercury. That's quite a large That's a area. massive distance. <laughs> That is, that's like, that is really big. That's the entirety of the solar system. Yeah, that's, that's, that's quite a lot. <laughs> Space is quite big, remember. We've been through this, <laughs> the physics of this before, I feel. I know there's the asteroid belt out beyond Mars, <laughs> and I know it's pretty big. <laughs> Ast- I don't think asteroids was ever about that. You were just stuck in an asteroid field, not this... You're a space cleaner. Um, and, you know, your way of getting around the solar system and the way of probably getting around the um, asteroid belt is to fly over it. Yeah, just by the way, it's uh, 3.64 billion miles. <laughs> God. <laughs> That's how far it is. You're going to need a massive Henry Hoover to keep that clear. <laughs> That's 3.64 billion miles away between Mercury and Pluto. Yeah. Idiots. You haven't kept the spaceways clear for three, six, four billion miles. <laughs> Mr. Bit, Mr. Bit, Mr. Bit, Mr. Bit. It's like, it's going to take you lifetimes. It's ridiculous. Because, <laughs> um, you know, space is flat. It's three-dimensional. It's massive. So yeah. you can go around stuff. Uh, I don't know. What do I know? Uh, all I know is that for some reason I'm having to play Asteroids again. So this is coding by Mark Hughes and James Doyle, music by Christopher Bergman, and graphics by Hajinda Wright and Peter Wolf, and design and coordination by David Baxter. What <laughs> design? <laughs> Why is there a credit for that? That was just the yeah. make. Can I have uh, credit? Yeah. Did right. you make this? Yeah, I made that. Yeah, I did that. Yeah. Mm. Seven people to make an asteroids clone, and someone has a design credit. I don't get it. I don't understand. Um, I think it's over-egging the pudding just a bit, but what do, you know, what do I know? The first thing you'll notice on this is that it is keyboard-controlled. That's annoying. That's, that, that's annoying. Yeah, that totally did me in. I'm like, yeah. what? You can, though. You can get around it, because obviously if you plug a joystick into port one and redefine the keys, it'll accept the port one directions, so you can move left and right, up and down, and then you can control it with the joystick. But it, yeah. but you're already doing that by the hack of port one being con- the top left corner buttons in it so it's just that yeah, hack. Yeah. it's not programmed it's just that is there but don't do what i did as well which is also i had space for smart bombs because as soon as i press fire because it's in port one that's tacked to space isn't it the space bar <laughs> so it just used all my smart bombs immediately it's like, oh, oh dear it's stupid why is this not joystick controlled just by default <laughs> <sighs> seven people <laughs> and no joystick <laughs> set up no one, none of them, none of them at any point went. Should we have it played with a joystick? No. When you get into the game, things are a little better. Controls are jerky and unresponsive. Whether you use a, a keyboard or a joystick, there's no nothing much to the title screen. The title screen just press fire or something. It's rubbish. Controls are jerky and unresponsive. Whether you use a keyboard or a joystick, you can rotate, thrust, hyperspace, and use smart bombs and shields. 
So you, you've got all these things, you know, the typical stuff. The asteroids, um, and it's asteroids, what do you want? It, they're ugly, single-colored red things that float about. And when you shoot them, they split into smaller, ugly-colored red things, and so on and so on. It's asteroids. Should you make it through a screen, then you must enter the teleporter that appears in the middle of the screen. You have a sort of triangular but sort of spaceship, like asteroids, but it's a sprite, and it's not very particularly well-drawn. But yeah, so you, you've got to enter the teleporter that appears in the middle of the screen. Don't go to that before it appears, though, because it just doesn't recognize you there. <laughs> I was just sat there for ages waiting for something to happen. Going, am I supposed to be in this? I guess I am. But it's harder to get into it than you might think because the nature of the pushing up to actually thrust will just thrust you through it. And you have to actually stop in it for it to actually oh pick up the fact that, like, oh, yeah, you want to teleport. That would be handy. It's the end of the level. There's nothing else to do. <laughs> so you just don't, half the time, it doesn't register you in the teleporter. You're left fighting the controls. You've got to go out, come back in, fly around a bit, see if it'll register you this time. Ah, oh, just nightmarish. Then it, when it does teleport you, it sort of spins you around a bit, teleports you to the next sector. Looks exactly the same. Same stars <laughs> and planets in the background, the same shitty red blocks floating about. If you make it through three sectors, then you can dock. This is also dead tricky. Why do they make docking these things hard? Do they want you to blow up? What kind of federation and corporation is this? It's hard Shunky enough one. clearing the pl- clearing the solar system of asteroids. We're going, well, if you want to sort of dock with us, we're going to make you have to fly through a narrow gap with your crap controls. Yeah. The UI at the bottom of the screen shows which planet you're heading towards, like it matters, your score, the number of smart bombs left, and shield power and number of lives. But not matter. You're not going to want to play this for very long. It's a jerky, horrible asteroid clone. And even for two quid, when there are games out there like Terror Fighter, which although not perfect, was at least trying to do something interesting in the budget range, Zamzara, loads and loads and loads of good budget games around at this point in time. Just This is just a big no. I have no idea why this got straight 7%. If it was a good budget version of Asteroids, you know, with loads of cool effects and kind of trippy stuff going on and it really did something crazy with it, then, yeah, that'd be cool. But it's not. It's a bad one. And I could get it to crash regularly by pressing the restore key. Just, just, it would just kill it. Yeah, it was so, buggy. It was really not buggy. good. Yeah, buggy, jerky, horrible, ugly mess of a nasty thing. Not good at all. I didn't like this. Rubbish. What about you? <laughs> no. Medium res asteroids <laughs> with no joystick control and silly keyboard controls. Who, what? Who asked for this? Who? No one. Nobody no, did. Nobody did. This is dated really badly. It's no fun. Just adding colourless items to the screen doesn't make this better. You're not adding anything good. Nor is having no joystick control is not a good thing. Even the basic games of most basic games manage a joystick variation of the controls this day and age. It's just dog egg of the highest order. There's nothing good about it. Nothing whatsoever. This is there's better budget games from 1985 and 1984 than this. This is where this one belongs. It is crap. Utter, utter budget ripoff crap. I am giving it no more service than that because that's all it deserves. And like you said, you've got to keep an area of space that is quite vast, <laughs> clear. And that ain't going to happen, is it? That ain't going to happen. That you know, you're talking you know, billions, trillions of kilometers. No, It'll it's never just be clear because it's space. <laughs> yeah. Well, bear in mind that you can fit every planet in the solar system between the Earth and the Moon. So you know, there's a lot of space up there, a lot of big empty space. Yeah. So let alone all of the distance between Mercury and Pluto. Anyway, that side and craziness aside and this weird idea that there's some federation that would waste time like that no no thanks just take this crappy you know why why wouldn't you just play asteroids wasn't there an asteroid variant on arcade classics you would just play that yeah i think there was actually yeah which would be better than this and cheaper so why wouldn't you just play that why on earth would anyone buy into this medium res and medium res is the the whole point of asteroids is with it was high res it was vectors yeah can't just make it medium res and go look now they look like rocks 
They don't. They look like partly chewed chocolates. <laughs> look like badly chewed Rollos. Nobody wanted to shoot them. Nobody. Nobody wanted that. Nobody wanted it. Rubbish. 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 Ugh. No. Let's yeah. Let's let's leave that one floating in the vacuum of space and uh, move on to our last game for the week. Good lord. <laughs> <sighs> And that one is yours, Graham. It's Tiger Road. So this is Tiger Road. All right. Now, you know what? Um, let's not be, not be too harsh on this. Let's, let's, let's take a look at this in a, now as best we can. This is another arcade conversion, another weird arcade conversion. This one got 73% though. So it's, you know, it's on the positive side of the Venn diagram of utter trash. And the publisher was Go, of course. Copyright is Capcom. It was coded by Keith Perkis and the musician was Jason C. Brook. Now, Tiger Road, aka Hepburn, Tora Inomishi, is a hack and slash platform game originally released in 1987 as a coin op arcade game. In Tiger Road, the player is placed in the shoes of a master of the tiger technique of Olin, a guy called Lee Wong. Before you start the game, Lee's comrades were attacked by warriors of the dragon god Ryukun, Ryukun! who kidnapped the children studying Olin. To win the game, the player must advance past five stages and retrieve scrolls through training areas, which are the bonus stages in the game, to acquire health and weapon power upgrades, and also the double-headed tiger fighting technique, the Tora Kiku, in-game, to defeat Ryukun, rescue the children, and reclaim his power. Mm -hmm. So, in Japan, the game machine listed the Tiger Road on their January 1st, 1988 issue as being the eighth most successful table arcade unit of the month. The eighth best in the month. Ain't a great accolade for anyone. <laughs> Is it? That's the, you're in Rosette territory there. You're at the you've just gone. You know you're at the horse jumping show <laughs> event at the weekend, and your daughter's just got a Rosette for jumping over matchboxes. That's what that is. You're in. The, you released a game this month. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Yeah. And that's that. By the way, that list is out of eight. Just. So. <laughs> <laughs> is that <a> seven? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> How do we come eighth? <laughs> this is based on their uh, a sixty-eight thousand architecture. Believe it or not, the arcade. Ran at 10 megahertz. It's astonishing speed for a game like this. Sound was, of course, like uh, Z80 running at 4 megahertz with a separate sound chip for the sample sounds and other such sounds, which was the Yamaha 2151. It's just got, it's an arcade, 68,000 based arcade. We've seen a lot of them. I think it's called the System 16 hardware, but I could be wrong. Anyway, that's what it was. And they did loads of games on that hardware. All right. Now, the blurb for this game, well, this is something to behold, isn't it? It says, um, undoubtedly one of the greatest martial art games ever written. <laughs> Yeah, Tiger Road, Tiger Road is practically four games rolled into one. Practically four games. You, as Lee Wong, set out on a quest to free the kidnapped children seized from the local villages by the evil Ryu Ken O. So it's called Ryu Ken O on this to be brainwashed into into his army. Essentially, I'll cut out the middle bit of rubbish there. To defeat Ryu Ken O, you must undertake a hazardous journey against awesome opponents like samurai warriors, giants, and dragons. There are only a few of the obstacles destined to prevent you from freeing the captives. So it's the samurai warriors, the giants. And the dragons, oh my. <laughs> Stunning graphics, pulsating action, and pulsating action. And things are described as pulsating action. That's when you're uh, when you love honey websites. They they tend to have a lot of that kind of thing. <laughs> um, superb gameplay, make Tiger Road a legend in the history of games. Oh, really? I would see your point there, and I raise you eighth the most successful game of the month. <laughs> Out of right? six. So, legend in the history of games. 50 sisters, he's... Um, <laughs> My bloody life <laughs> me, story. <laughs> me thinks and right, and so there's actually a funny extra, funny epithet also. By the way, go on. It buried in the code of this is a note from the game creator in the code here, and the people who cracked this game. Well, you know what they're like in the end sequence text. They hacked it out because it was hidden in the code, and it says 
I hope you like my version and that I proved once and forever to certain persons that I'm able to do a great version out of a multifiler. I mean, those persons always talking behind someone's back and can't say it directly into somebody's face. I'm tired of you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's that's coded into the game. Somebody tells me that maybe it wasn't all Moonlight and Roses, you know, with Keith, Perkins Co- and Go. Who knows? Code of beef. Yeah, it's code beef. Co- Cody beef. Maybe he's in it. <laughs> okay, it so... <laughs> Anyway, this is an attempt at converting the 1987 Capcom arcade with some mixed results. There is in here the basics of the arcade, which is an omni-scrolling fighting game that sees you walking and jumping around some locations, wielding weapons, and generally killing stuff in order to get to the end of the level and progress. The arcade is a colourful affair with some nicely designed pixel art and sprites. That's the arcade. C64 version has, well, there are versions of these sort of things in C64 ways. It's been done in the C64 style. (laughs) The game sprite does look like a lower res and smaller version of another arcade, and you are swinging axe at the start, so it kind of looks like a squat version of Rastan in a weird way. You do pick up other weapons as well when you make your way through the game, like a spiky long pole thing. You can, you are constantly attacked by enemies that will come from either side or above, and that means your life will drain. You have a limited amount of time, so you've got to get to the end of the level before you either die or you run out of time. Controlling things is all with the joystick, left and right, diagonals for jump. That's if it deems you worthy to let you jump, because... <laughs> Sometimes it just didn't. Um, and sometimes it wasn't immediately obvious that you were inside somewhere that did that had a ceiling as well, which I noticed. So sometimes I'm jumping, thinking, why won't you jump? And then I realize, oh, I'm inside a cave. Just didn't realize, you know, that didn't seem obvious to me. The scrolling is okay in the directions, as I've said. And you do get larger bosses, which are in the arcade, not what you call massive. And they're not exactly like the arcade. And well, nothing is. Notably, not all of them are here, though. And not all the levels are the same either. This is a multi-load two, which is like, oh, so God. Yep. The UI is a simple affair. The top is your score, energy level, and your enemy when they are when they appear, and your remaining time. At the bottom is your number of lives, just thrown in for good measure at the bottom, which maybe it still makes me laugh because I'm not sure what that is. It looks like a gingerbread man. It just says gingerbread equals six. I'm like, hey, I've got <laughs> six gingerbreads. Woohoo! It's got to be good. Anyway, you start with six or whatever that is. There is a very very limited appeal for this, really, and that's basically the same reasons that Dragon Ninja didn't work in this context either. It's just not. It's not the worst conversion in the world. Okay, it's not. It's not like the worst arcade conversion we've seen. I'm not saying it's great. I'm just saying it's not the worst we've seen. That's a very different conversation. The sound is a repetitive nightmare and really annoying. And the game isn't going to give you any massive thrills and spills. But you might have some fun smashing your way through it, like you might have had with Rastan or something like that. The graphics are C64 versions of things, so the resolution and colors are not going to be there. They just look like squat versions. And there's bugs all over the place in this game. Characters disappear, reappear. Sometimes the weapons appear in their hands instantly. Sometimes they don't. And the background graphics, I'm not sure what they were thinking of when they drew them. They're not so much drawn as kind of daubed. So the trees look like sort of daubed stuff. And there's, I don't know, there's just not a lot of detail and thought. And there's a lot of walking around in the mud in this game. Mud and rocks, there seems to be a lot of mud and rocks. There is a forest level and other levels in it, but I don't know, there's, there's, not, there's not much detail in there. So it is a C64 version of Tiger Road. Tiger Road was not an arcade game I never really came across anyway. So it's another one of those, have you converted Tiger Road? Rain. That never happened because it was, no. you know, the eighth most successful arcade of the month, remember? So who knows if it was, who even thought about it? But they're clearly, again, going down the um, arcade obscura, looking for arcades to convert because, you know, there's money in the arcade conversion mm-hmm. hills. So, you know, they happened to turn one round that was broken. Tiger Road, has anyone converted this? Dibs on this one. Dibs, dibs, I got dibs. <laughs> so they dibs it, obviously. <laughs> and that's how Dib Dib Dab is how they obviously pick these bloody things because they're so arbitrary at the minute. It's unbelievable. Anyway, I didn't think the jumping controls because I thought it didn't really work all the time. So you can't really 
fight and you don't really fight as much kind of just walk and shove about and jump about and not really getting much enjoyment out of it the zap score is way too high for this you know 73 percent. are you having a laugh i mean come on this is in the 40s this is i'm not saying it's you know all right 50 i'll concede 50 this isn't the crappiest arcade conversion we've seen but it ain't very good and it's not even all there and also it's not very much fun but then we've said this so many times the original wasn't really that great either when i came to look at it played mm-hmm. a bit boring look really boring there's loads of games like this that are way better we're not that far from golden axe for god's sake in the arcade terms these sort of games like this they're just they're not very good they're the eighth best remember <laughs> so this one nah 40 percent tops it's not the crappiest arcade conversion i've seen but we're not talking about the arcade conversions that are amazing here now this is a, if we're writing a book this would be arcade catastrophes wouldn't it conversion catastrophes and this is just less catastrophic than some of the other monstrosities we have to deal with, but not reaching out into the mega game handbook, is it, this one? So overall, no, <laughs> no, no. And is it really the legend of gaming history? Not for the good reasons they think it is anyway. What did you think? No, I'm surprised you've not mentioned the uh, dramatic ninjas on the cover as well. <laughs> I completely forgot about them. <laughs> The overly dramatic ninjas. Ninjas! Terrible ninjas. Terribly overdramatic ninjas. There's a guy, a, Sha- a Shaolin monk there with an axe. They don't use axes. Um, Shaolin monk with an axe there with wearing boots, which they don't wear either, and trousers, which they don't wear like that. Um, so he's wearing kind of casual trousers and a, and a top. And it's these ninjas flying out going, oh. <laughs> Dramatic ninja attack! I'm a ninja! Oh. <laughs> Hey, we'll put the cover in the uh, the show notes. That's literally that picture has nothing to do with the arcade. And you don't fight ninjas in the game, as far as I'm aware. So I don't know why they're even in it, but um, maybe you do later, I don't know. I don't know. Is, there, is that ninjas on beds as well? Yeah, it also wins the award for the largest Capcom logo ever seen on a cover <laughs> compared to the logo of the actual game, which is kind of an afterthought. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just it's another Crapcom conversion. It ain't great. It's not the worst one, but you know we're not dealing with great things, are we? And that cover is a classic. We'll put it in the show notes so you can... Judge yeah. it for yourself. Oh, the ninjas may attack any moment. <laughs> oh, that's so dramatic. <laughs> what, did, what did you think of it all? Yeah. Stop pulling crappy arcade games. Yeah. <laughs> and hoping to yeah. make a good game out of them. Because I did, I went and tried, I played this on MAME. Um, and it's, it's not a very good, it's not a very good arcade yeah. game. It's got rubbish surprise, controls surprise. and boring combat. So even the yeah. original's boring. At one point, did anyone think <laughs> it'd be a good idea to port this over and think they could make it better? Because they haven't. No. They made it worse. Ugly sprites. Ugly. That, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Here a bit. And rubbish controls, like you said. Will I jump? Will I not? Who knows? <laughs> Will I do a big jump or a small jump? Who knows? <laughs> it's a random roller. Jump! No, not this time. You were unlucky. Rubbish. So sometimes it's a, it's a wonder whether your enemies are even going to have legs. That's true. I was, attacked by, I was attacked by torsos with knives quite a few times. <laughs> ah, that's terrifying. Well, I, I got to the bit where you have to sort of jump up this section where you get attacked by these floating enemies. And because oh, the God, jumping the jumping was so frustrating, that's the bit I turned off. I was like, nope, nope, yeah. nope, this is dreadful. Yeah, it doesn't this work. is so annoying. Why was, I mean, to put that, whatever he's put in, these, in the code notes going, you know, the comments going, look at what I've done. Like, really? Why yeah. was there so little quality control back then? This is, it, like you said, it's not as bad as some others we have seen. I mean, it's no Guerrilla War um, no, and no. Double Dragon and things like that but if you put rubbish expect extra rubbish just yep. you know c64 filtered rubbish yep that's what you get <laughs> yep because that's what we have here like who was crying out for a tiger road like ah, oh, i remember like 1988 first met you the first thing you said to me was i really hope they put tiger road and i was like no I, I know graham i know we've obviously clearly got a bond over our love for the tiger road arcade exactly game. and if there's any justice they'll use gingerbreads for men in it <laughs> 
oh, Graham, we speak the same language. We'll be friends forever. That's it. We park our cars in the same garage. <laughs> Absolutely. The dramatic ninja garage. Oh, ninjas everywhere. On kites, on kites, no less. Oh, Away with you, ninjas. We just, play, just get a fan and blow it. That's what happens if you wear a kite. <laughs> you go. Stupid ninja. The strong gust of wind to just blow the ninjas in their own direction. Just if you was on a barbecue and you just suddenly rained ninjas, you're like, where are these coming from? <laughs> I just didn't hear the X-Files music. Ninjas and kites. Quick, call it Mulder and Scully. This is rubbish. 73% is a joke. This is a joke. It's like, what, what game are they playing? Nothing I recognised. No, rubbish. There we go. Tiger Road. Tiger No. Yeah, yes. Tiger Toad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tiger Roid. Uh, I've not seen a game that brown in a while. After the commitment to brown is quite... It was you know, pretty good brown. On yeah. It's just, yeah. Yeah, it's not no. great. Rubbish. There we go. That's what we've. That's it. That's our nine games for this week. What did we look at? We looked at Lead Storm, which is yeah, best of the okay, week. Okay, good. Probably yeah, yeah good, I think good game. easily. And then uh, Techno Cop. No. Techno crap. crap. Terror Fighter. Um, mm. average, average budget shooter. TKO. Clever. Yeah. Clever. clever. Go for the rounds. Go, Go for the full rounds. Uh-huh. Steel. Uh, good looking, but confusing. Golf Master. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, just buy a leaderboard. <laughs> yeah. Jetbike Simulator. <laughs> it's not jet bikes. It's not a jet bike, you stupid idiots. It's jet skis. It's a jet ski. <laughs> Master Blaster. <laughs> no. That was terrible. And finally, oh, Tiger Road. Tiger Road and its annoying, floating, dramatic ninja. Oh. <laughs> there we go. Uh, if you want to support us after all that, I think you should. Oh, those dramatic ninjas. <laughs> yeah. If you don't support us, we're just going to do more dramatic ninja noises regularly. <laughs> Or chromatic ninjas. Oh, very good. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, chromatic ninjas. <laughs> I am dying in the KFC. <laughs> if you do, <laughs> then you can do that by going to Patreon. Go to our Patreon. Sign up. £12.50 or a pound, up to you. Patreon.com forward slash up to the past. Or you could buy us a coffee. <laughs> the worst <laughs> stealth ninjas in the world. You can hear them coming from miles. It's them bloody chromatic ninjas. Do they think they're invisible or something? Because we can hear them coming. <laughs> Every footstep is a note higher. It's like... Ding, 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 ding. Hi! Ah! you off with a tuning fork. Hi! <laughs> That's what they throw instead of shuriken. It's the note we can't hear. Oh. Tu- tuning forks. <laughs> or Kofi, Kofi.com, whatever it is, forward slash up to the past. Or yes. you can buy some merch if you want. That'd be cool. If you if you really want us on your chest. Do it. Some great new designs on there for for ladies and men. Yeah, it's up to the past. And, and everyone in between. We're not we're not picky, you know, there's everything for everyone. Yeah, just go on, if you want. What we got next week? Well, next week we round off March. The mighty is it? March. The last of the big big months, I do believe. So what we got coming up is ten games next week to round it off with. I know, it's a whopper. And those games, Graham, are Rocket Ranger. 
Mmm, cinemaware. Mm, indeed. Spaceball. Mmm, expensive. Got, thir- got 13%. Ooh, right. God, that's, this is, that's, that's, the percentage is lower than its cost. Yep. <laughs> Soldier of Light, whatever that is. Okay. Loads of S games. Soldier of Light, Super Stuntman. Yeah, oh, it's got the word super in front of it. <laughs> Star Ray. That's Ray. <laughs> <laughs> Stars. <laughs> super Sports. <laughs> super right. stuff. Right. Menace. Oh, no. In it. Operation yeah, Amiga Hor- conversion, yeah. yeah. Operation Hormuz. Okay. No idea. Vecklemons. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, R-Type. Okay. The, uh, 64 yeah. conversion of R. Finally, the 64, not Catechist, R-Type. It might look very similar. <laughs> I think it might do. Just listen to what we said about Catechist. We've got Denaris at some point as well. Uh, that's it. So that's it for this week. I don't think I've got much else to add. Have you, Graham? Anything you want no, to I haven't. I need to go and wash my mind with some of the... <laughs> Utter, I mean, there's some little, there's some little gems. I was quite pleased with TKO and with um, Lead Storm. So, no, he's not lost. Yeah, and the graphics on Steel were nice. I have to give you know. Yeah, yeah. Fair play to Gary Biasillo. He's proven to be a real good pixel artist. I have to say, mm. there's some impressive stuff. Apparently, he's gone on to do some amazing stuff as well. If you look at his bio. Oh yeah, he works for EA, doesn't he? Yeah, he worked on yeah, all yeah, FIFA totally, and Battlefield like, he's and totally stuff. Totally doing it. He's doing it. But he's obviously one of those people that just had the knack. You know, we've known people like that. Yeah. Yeah, we have. So that's it. So, yeah, I don't think there's anything more to add. So we'll, yeah. Uh, So as ever, I have been Adrian Mills. And I have been Graham Raddings. And we will see you again next week when we are Chromatic Ninjas. (laughs) (laughs) Have a good week. (laughs) Bye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptuther, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.